Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. I mean, sometimes the Brits... I married one, so I have to be very careful here. <laughs> you know, some of my best friends are, and their humor gets us all through very tricky times. But there are just times, right, where you're going, where is the passion? Where is the booty? Where is the sauce? And you can't cuss very well. They can't say fuck. No? But other than that, I like it. Hey, everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on this episode, we're talking about Concertina, the third track from Tori's fifth album, To Venus and Back. Hi, David. Hey, Eve. How's it going? It's going pretty well. I would like to extend a challenge to you. Ooh. That challenge being, please only speak to me using lyrics from the song Concertina. David, you can't police what I think and dream. Ugh. Challenge accepted and handled with grace. I feel like you just ran into my thought from across the room. Ugh. That's fine. How are you? I've got a fever above my waist. Sorry, I'm not thinking clearly. I think you can weather this. Thank you. Just another trick. Okay, sorry. Let's, we'll end that bit right now. Experiment failed. How have you been since our award-winning Juarez episode? Did we win an award? I didn't even know we were nominated. We want all of the awards. We want a streamy. We want a potty. We want a, what's the Spanish word for podcast? We want that one too. (laughs) Are there red carpets for streaming award shows? I had my background in the Zoom meeting as a red carpet. Hmm. Were you not there? No. see? My invitation must have gotten lost in the mail. I was dressed in a tux from the waist up. I miss gifting suites. I've only known about a gifting suite once when my friend Joy, her show Dietland premiered. She had a gifting suite. I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Had no idea. What did you guys get in your grab bags? I didn't get to go. I wasn't on Dietland. Okay, what did she tell you she got in her grab bag? Clothes, accessories, gifts. Fine leather goods. Handbags. Mm. A water bottle. Yeah, she got all kinds of stuff. For those who don't know what a gifting suite is, a gifting suite is when someone famous goes into a room and they just give that famous person gifts. And whatever gifts the famous person accepts, the idea is that they will promote that gift or be photographed with that gift or whatever, you know, or tag that brand. As if being famous isn't gift enough. As if, yes, exactly. As if your wealth. Anyway, well, how do you feel about Concertina? What were your first impressions of this song? I don't remember my first impression. I think she was a slow burn. 
I think Concertina is actually a fierce calm. She doesn't come blasting through the wall like the Kool-Aid man. She's more subtle than that. So I don't remember my first impression of Concertina when I heard Tiffany and Back for the first time, but I do love this song. And I think Tori loves it a lot too. What was your first impression? I love it. I love the song. You know, like we talked about previously, sometimes her playing sounds like some things, like actual things like the dial tone in Hey Jupiter or the reindeer hooves in Reindeer King. Mm-hmm. I felt like her representation of the clouds descending at the beginning, I felt like it was spot on. So I, I don't know. I really liked it from the get-go. Were you upset that it doesn't include actual accordion? No, because I didn't know for years what a concertina was. Mm. But now I do. And now I'm pissed. <laughs> yeah, I'm pissed. It's a squeeze box. I always thought squeeze box was a metaphor, though. And we'll get into it in the line by line. A metaphor in a Tori Amos song? What do you mean? We'll get into it in the line by line. Okay. <laughs> Preview, squeeze box, a box, come on. We already had a disagreement off air about what we think the background vocals in the single mix are, so it's going to get heated. I know. We got into a big fight. My fever's rising. I got that concertina fever. Struck me right above the waist. (laughs) Where does the song fall for you in order of how you like the songs on the album? Oh my gosh, I have to think about that for a second. I think it goes Suede, Spring Haze, Riot Poof, Concertina. So fourth favorite. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I would put it somewhere for myself. I would put it somewhere in the bottom half of the album after Bliss, Juarez, Riot Poof, Spring Haze for sure, and maybe Suede. I also really like Lust. I would put Concertina right under there. But I feel like my thoughts on the song have changed Like as I've gotten older. Every time I hear the song, this wasn't how it was before, but every time I hear the song now for the last like three years, maybe I think of you because of your performance of this song in the Starbucks parking lot when we first started chatting. Do you remember? (laughs) You were leaning up against your trunk of your car, putting on your fake lip gloss. That's like the least of what I've done in a Starbucks parking lot. So I don't remember that. That's between you and your God. I remember the conversation and the hangout that you're referring to. I don't remember that specific performance, but go on. No, you were like really into it. Well, because I think I was talking about how into it Tori gets when she performs it live. Yeah, and you embodied her. I'm but an empty vessel and she stepped into me. Because I think I must have been talking about the Scarlet's Walk Tour specifically because she would let the band vanish for a pretty long period of time and she would like reapply her lip gloss and everything and you'd be like oh my god like this is gonna be a banger she must be getting ready for like i mean even though you could tell it wasn't like ie or precious things or something but it's like oh my god she's about to blast the doors off the place and then she would start like slinking down leaning against her piano like ooh, doing that like i'm just a hot mama <laughs> doing her job thing that just you love so, just a hot mama and you're like oh my god what song is this gonna be she's so like horned up for it and then she's class descending <laughs> hey just... she's horned up for the song i'm telling you there's nothing i love when tori refers to like performing as work you know like there's this clip from I, i'm not gonna be able to find it and it's gonna frustrate me so much but there's this clip from a radio show where she's like do you guys have any questions and someone's like what are you doing tomorrow he was hitting on her you know and she's like i'm working honey i just love when she because it is it's like she's gearing up to work she like sides up to the piano oh, it's, it's a job the hot mama doing the job. Well, that's what I do when I clock in for work. You wait until you clock in to put your lip gloss on, David? That's called stealing time. Yeah, I do it on company time for sure. 
I check my websites, read my news. You can't just like start work. You have to warm up first. You have to ease into it. You got to walk around campus and say hello to all your friends. Yeah. And I think the company would agree. They don't want to be involved in any kind of like workers comp suit. If you just sat down at your computer and opened Excel, you could hurt yourself. I agree. Should we tell the people who we have on the show? Yeah. Who's coming? Do we got Tina? Today may be our most British episode ever, our Britishiest episode ever, because we have two of three guests are British. We have Chris O'Gorman, Joseph Jagger, as well as David Ramor, non-Brit. Mm. All Concertina superfans. For a second, can we just imagine how Concertina would speak? Or like what she would say? She'd be like, my name's Concertina, but my friends call me Tina. That's not how I imagine her speaking at all. No, you go then. No, I would imagine it's Clyde. Clyde's voice. What is Clyde's voice? Exactly none. Mousy, quiet. But now, give it to me. I don't Do have Clyde. one. Do Clyde. No, no, thank you. <laughs> oh, she is thank timid. You, thank you. <laughs> Would you like to say hello to our Patreon supporters, David? Hello. Hello, everyone. Hi. It's good to see you. It's good to see and be seen. We're sorry. First, we'd like to say hello to returning Patreon, Rachel Clunder. Hello. Mm, my favorite album is Clunder the Pink. <laughs> really? Yeah. My favorite album is Boys for Palunder. <laughs> Clunder for Pele. Welcome back to Chad Dexter. Always good to see you. Chad's great. Chad gave us a ticket for, I think it was the opening night of Ocean Ocean Tour in the United States. Chad, I'll never forget it. Thank you. The dexterous thing is trust. No. The dexterous thing <laughs> the is trust. But it becomes dexterous. The dexterous thing is Chad. Chad. Hello to new patron, Kate Parsons. Hi, Kate. It won't be fair if I ate her. If I cater. I know that song. It's from Clunder the Pink. <laughs> Hello to new patron, Jennifer Polly. And all your Pollys have friends. Dun, dun, dun. As always, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. And we are ramping up production. As you've noticed, Venus is coming out. Dang. Dang. It's all happening. Don't you go developing Venus envy now. As always, thanks to our wonderful headmistress, Shay. Shay Stymac. Clouds deshading. Hmm. I'm not police-shang, what's you? You're the fear-shaced. This I shay wear. <laughs> You're the fear-shaced calm I've been in. I'll get way too shareful. Particle by particle, Shay slowly changes. Oh, Shay. Shay likes hanging Chinese paper cuts. I think I've heard that. Wow, why you watch where Shay's going? We've got to talk about that in a line by line. All right. Let's get there. Let's do it. Here's a cover of Concertina by David Golden, performed on an actual Concertina. We'll link to this in our show notes at songsoftoriamus.com.
Tori Amos in Studio C on Channel 1031. That's Concertina. Grab a drink of water here. Um, that's that's all. Now, Concertina is it's a little squeeze box, uh, squeeze box. But uh, yeah. what's the uh, what's the the story of that song? Um, I've always loved squeeze boxes, whether they be, you know, vintage instruments. I don't know how to play one myself, <laughs> but um, and I also love beautiful women, so it works out. Well, I've heard you refer to your songs as she. They, they kind of take on a life of their own. And uh, I've read interviews where you refer to a different song as, as a, a person, as a character. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. They're not all heterosexual, though. Right. So that's important. Concertina appears as the third track on Tori's fifth album to Venus and Back on the Orbiting Disc, which is disc A. It appears on the double CD and cassette version of this album, released on September 21st, 1999 in the United States. It also appears as the fourth single from the album with a whole new mix, a single mix, David. So quick, I love a single mix. Me too. It's for all the single ladies. You get a little single mix. You know when Concertina plays at a wedding, they all trot out there and they're like, yeah, clouds descending, like raising their hands over their heads. Concertina ladies, Concertina ladies. <laughs> rumor has it there's a Beyonce cover of this song floating around, a Beyonce demo. I feel like that's a rumor we should be able to confirm. You won't tip my fuzz. <laughs> What's not a rumor is the next time we hear from Concertina is on a compilation released by K-Fog Berkeley from a performance that Tori did October 8th, 1999. This was released November 14th, 99. What a quick turnaround for Christmas. Get away the heat. I got a fever above my waist. You got a squeeze box on your lane. I know the truth is in between. The first and the 40th day. Concertina then appears on a second compilation, this one for Y100 Sonic Sessions, released on November 23rd from a performance that Tori did on August 27th of that year. Roll that, Ollie. Concertina, Concertina, chill albums, this I swear, you're the fiercest, come off a third compilation surfaces. This is Kink Live 3 from Kink FM 102, Portland, Oregon, released in September 2000 from a performance that Tori did in 99. And this is what it says on the Kink website about Concertina. It says, if ever a musician captured the intimate nature of the Kink Live Performance Lounge, it would be Tori Amos with her seemingly free association, almost hallucinatory lyrics. The entire Kink staff came to a standstill while mesmerized by her song concertina we next see concertina on the welcome to sunny florida dvd recorded in west palm beach florida on september 3rd 2003 and released on may 18th 2004 wtsf 
next time we see the song, it is on a piano in a remixed single version mix on Disc C on September 26, 2006. Exciting. But it's not another single mix, right? It's the single mix released in 1999? Yeah, I think it's the same single mix. Did I say yet another? You said... Stop policing what I think and dream, David. No. All right, fine. (laughs) I'm just going to say no to that. (laughs) The next time we see this song is on not one... Not five, but eight legs and boots. Whoa. Boston, Buffalo, Washington, Cleveland, Chicago, Nashville, Boise, and Phoenix. Some songs would stop there. Some songs would be like, okay, I'm going to take a little break. I'm tired. But not Concertina. No. Concertina's like, you know what? I'm going to come back on live from the Artist's Den DVD, recorded December 9th, 2009, and released July 13th, 2010. Roll that, Oliver. When I play by myself, then, of course, the rhythm can change and I can draw things out and... I have a different conversation with the audience. I can change the story from moment to moment when I'm playing live alone. And I don't know what's going to happen sometimes. then that concertina's work was done what a storied and complicated history mm. thoughts i feel like tori really loves this song she doesn't really talk about it a lot or hasn't talked about it a lot but she always performs it and it was a real moment at the end of the native invader tour when she played at la night one i think or was it two mm-hmm. um but we'll get to that define real moment I think it was a really strong performance, and she really accented the second time she sings first in the 40th drink with like a low bang on the piano. And I was like, whoa, she's really drawing attention to that. I feel like she's going through something. I was fascinated. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm still thinking about it. It's four years later. Eh, five. God, what is my life? Yeah, and you brought it up when we did that episode of our tour all year. Yeah. Where we were doing our live commentary track for that show. You brought it up. Seemed like a good time for it. That was a perfect time for it. I'm not complaining. What do you think about this song? I love this song. I think it operates in a space where no other song operates. It sounds unlike any other song, you know? Any other Tori song? Yeah, it sounds unlike any of her other songs. It exists in this very interesting ethereal plane. I think the arpeggios and the guitar, I think that they create a vibe that's not similar to any other song. Mm. Occasionally a song will come out that is just like a police me or a teenage hustling. You know, a song that just sounds like nothing else. I think Concertina is one of those songs. I can't think of another song. 
you love police me. Police yourself. Yeah, you're like, she's not policing what I think and dream. Yeah. How has she never played these back to back? Or has she? Or has she? Maybe she's working it out for the next tour. You never know. Don't police me, Tina. Did you ever hear this song on the radio? No, did you? No, I didn't, but I know that it was played. Really? Because I heard a story about a friend of a friend who was not a Tory fan who heard it on the radio and was like, I actually <laughs> sounds, like... This sounds made up. <laughs> Can you believe this? A friend of a friend? I heard it from a friend who knows this guy who saw this girl who heard Concertina at 31 Flavors last night. I guess it's pretty serious. Oh my God. The friend, so this friend of a friend who we will refer to as Tina. Everyone is Tina for me today. Um, no, this friend of a friend was like, oh, I heard the new Tori Amos song on the radio. I actually really like it. You know? that song about pasta and she was like pasta what do you mean and he was like yeah you know contadina oh my god i think you're making that up (laughs) i would i will i would not maybe he was making it up like he didn't actually think she was singing contadina but i think he did my mom called the song constantina constantina (laughs) yeah you just accessed a memory and she's like i like her new song constantina (laughs) that was really beautiful constantina concertina concertina it's like squeeze box. Constantina. I mean, I guess if you don't see it printed, it sounds like Constantina or Contadina. Altadina. Oh my God, they should adopt this as the city song for Altadina. Should they? Altadina. Altadina. Yeah. Or Pasadena. Any of the Dinas, uh, really. Pasadena. No, Pasadena's not cool enough. Excuse me. No offense. Is Altadina like notoriously cool in a way that I'm not aware of? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Altadena has, don't they have the uh, banana museum? The banana museum? Well, it's uh, one of the few places it's okay to go bananas. John Bartel out here on the Salton Sea. Today, we're making a little pit stop at the International Banana Museum. Well, to find this place, you'll have to keep your eyes peeled. The International Banana Museum has odd hours and it's not well advertised. So you'll just have to look for the bait shop and liquor store just outside of North Shore. Anyway, this song does not have any credits specifically listed, but the back of the album listed the following credits. Musicians, drums, percussion, Matt, the human loop, Chamberlain, bass, John Evans, guitars, Steve Caton, Busendorfer, synths, vocals, Tori Amos, programming, Andy Gray. Recorded and mixed by Mark Hawley and Marcel Van Limbeek. Assisted by Rob Van Tuen at Martian Engineering in Cornwall, England. What do you think about this lack of song-by-song credits? I like it. I actually like it. It makes it feel more like a band. It makes it feel like we all did this together. I think that's what it is. Yeah. We all did this together. I think you're right about that. It's like a group project. And she's like, let's not take credit for our individual pieces. Exactly. Like, I guess the vocals could have conceivably been Matt Chamberlain. I don't know. No, but that's an interesting thing because before, like, for example, on Boys for Pele, it would be like steel guitar, comma, acoustic guitar, comma, mandolin by Steve Caton. It would be listing all of the instruments. Yeah. Whereas here, it's just guitars by Steve Caton. It does make it a collaboration in a way, you know, and that like, who's to say where your line ends and where mine begins? Oh my God. And it bleeds into where Mm -hmm. I resist. Mm Mm-hmm. But I just like the kind of granular credits because I like having a little more insight into what's actually going on in the song technically. Like what instruments Mm -hmm. are being played and all that. It's not about like who did what. It's about what did what. What did what? What did who? What did what? Well, since you love those granular credits, David, I have an oddity for you. Mm. A Tori Amos oddity, but not only just a Tori Amos oddity, but an oddity in the world of music. I would dare say. I like it weird. Sounds odd. 
We all know, we all know worldwide, we all know that the Concertina single was released on February 8th, 2000. Uh-huh. Though some stores got it early, we also all collectively as a human species know that the songs that appeared on the single were Famous Blue Rainco written by Leonard Cohen and Twinkle written by Tori Amos. It also was a hyper CD, if you recall, that contained the glory of the 80s video. Do you remember that? Uh, I'm not sure that I do, actually, but I'll take you at your word. Take me at my word, and my word is as good as the dent. The number for this CD5 maxi single was Atlantic CD52-84651, and you love a catalog number. Oh my god. But that's not what's odd about this. You ready for this? You've primed the pump. Pump it. There are credits listed on this CD single, recorded and mixed by Mark Hawley and Marcel Van Limbeek, not assisted by Rob Van Tuen. He just sat there? I don't know if it was just like an inside joke, but they specifically list not assisted by Rob Van Tuen. It doesn't say that. It really does. What? (laughs) That's not a joke. Not assisted by Rob Van Tuen. That's great. I don't know. What do you think happened? He was like, I disavow these background vocals. Yeah. He was like, wah, 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 watch where you're going. Don't put those in there. Watch where you go now. I don't know about this. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, I thought that was interesting. It is, but no instrumentation. Yeah, no, no, no. So it didn't bother to give us the good information. It should just list who doesn't do anything on that song. Yeah. It's just like, Ephraim and David did nothing. No one helped. I'm a bedraggled married woman now. Most of these songs were not written by Leonard Cohen, but this one was. What if it was Tina Gullickson on Concertina or as Concertina? We'll never know. Performing the role of Concertina. Yeah. Vocals. Little squeeze box. You just never know. That's what makes it feel like a band. I mean, she's not nitpicking. She doesn't need to know what guitars you're playing. Just play the guitar that makes the song sound good, Steve. Yeah. We do know for sure that this is one of the few songs that Caton appears on in this album because from an interview with Virtual Guitar Magazine in October 1999, someone asked him, any cool guitar moments to look forward to on the new album? And he said, I like the song Concertina, and it really is the only one on the album that features guitar. Simple arpeggio stuff supporting the melody with a distorted flanged out bridge. A fun song to play live, too. So when he says features, does that mean it stands out? Because clearly the other songs have guitar. I feel like it plays a really big role, whereas before, like, he had played bigger roles in, like, God and Cornflake Girl, you know, songs that really were kind of guitar heavy Mm -hmm. or mandolin heavy, where he had contributed in a feature way. I think he specifically uses that word feature for that reason. Interesting, because we'll get to it, but I seem to remember him telling a story about really pushing for guitar on Josephine, saying, like, no, I can add atmosphere to this song. And Tori was like, doesn't need it. And then he did it and presented it to her. And she was like, you're right. That's good. (laughs) It's good. It's good. It's good. (laughs) I love Josephine. Not tonight. Let's just talk about Josephine. Okay, let's give forward. It's actually pronounced Josephine. Josefina. Josefina, Josefina. Let's get into the quotes. Why don't you read this from Alternative Press, October 1999. Okay. Do you ever feel like you walk in a room? You don't know why. But you're just so uncomfortable, you're crawling out of your skin, even though nobody's touched you physically. That's in Concertina, when you feel like you haven't excavated enough of your different personalities that when one pops up, you're not sure where it came from, and you try to hack it out of yourself. It shocks you that you could have this kind of fault, or that other people could bring it out in you. I am shocked. You know what shocks me about it is the fact that Tori still has personality she hasn't excavated. Wasn't that what Boys for Pele was? That's what her whole body of work has been. Isn't that what Dolls Posse is? Yeah, it's all. It's all. I feel like this is a strange quote to begin the episode with because it's not how I see the song at all. Me either. Yeah. If one were to remove the word concertina from this quote, I think I would have a very hard time determining what song she was referring to. 
Mm-hmm. Except for the walked into the room part. That's kind of a nod to the lyrics. But yeah, I wouldn't necessarily match this idea up with Concertina as it appears on the page anyway. Which is exciting to me because I feel like that gives me room to kind of understand it in a different way. Because I can't say, even though I feel like this is not how I would describe the song, I don't have any other words to describe the song. Like, I can't tell you what it is about wholly. But like, if you take the idea of I run into your thought from across the room and you're having a bad thought, if I'm running into an atmosphere that you created, then I can absolutely see how this idea of social anxiety or, you know, being crawling out of your skin can come into this song. If I analyze it lyrically... I've always felt like this song was about Mark. And I know she's not going to say that, especially like at this point in her career. But I'm kind of fascinated by how she's talking about her own personality and excavating her own personality. Does that mean she's sort of deflecting by talking about like how she reacted to what was going on in this song? I know you've said that it's about Mark or that you've laid your chips on the table on the Mark side before. I might agree. I might not. I'm not sure yet. But... I feel like her whole body of work has been about how she interprets the things because she can't change anybody else. She can only decide her reaction or work with her feelings on it, you know? Mm -hmm. So like we see that in like little earthquakes also, just that idea of like, yeah, like if it is, if I run into your thought from across the room or if like, if it is about a bad situation that happened, then it seems to be about her interpretation of it. But I wouldn't call it deflecting though, to answer your question. I think it would genuinely be like figuring it out. What about it makes you feel like it's deflecting? What about it? Yeah. I just feel like she's making it more about herself because the song is so much about you. You're the fiercest calm I've been in. So I think she's just sort of like leaving out that part of the story and talking about the song. So she doesn't have to like maybe be drawn into a conversation she doesn't want to have. So she's like, oh, this is just about like excavating the different parts of myself. The end. Well, I'm interested in that idea. And I feel like maybe that the part of herself she's referring to is a reaction she didn't expect to have until she was in this situation. And then she's like, oh, that's interesting. Let's read this quote from USA Today, October 1st, 1999, because I think it adds to what you're saying. And I feel like maybe the reaction is to having your whole life be calm, right? Mm. In USA Today, she says, after the plug tour, I sort of walked into a fierce calm. I didn't need to be someone's daughter, wife, or mother, even though I am a daughter and a wife, and motherhood kind of just slipped through time and space for me. The record is just about being a woman and waking up every day. Most songs didn't come until the title was in place. My friend Natalie looked at me at one point and said, you know, you would go to Venus or that you've been there. If you're going to approach the Venus realm, seduction lives there, obsession lives there, trustworthy lust lives there decadence lives there control lives there sometimes i see the music more like a dionysian frenzy the concept that there are albums that make you happy and albums that make you suicidal i don't live in that kind of segregated world that's why being in a fierce calm really holds a frequency for me right now i'd like to explore the possibility because social anxiety even though she hasn't said it really walking into a place and being so uncomfortable you're crawling out of your skin i'm interpreting that as social anxiety somehow Mm. But that's not what she's saying necessarily, just being uncomfortable. And I'd like to explore maybe at this time in her life, having been married now for two years, kind of settled into that. I'd like to explore the uncomfortableness coming because you're happy or the uncomfortableness coming because you don't have anything to fuck it up, you know? And like what that does. Have you ever been in a situation or a relationship where you're like everything's going well and you kind of just like fuck it up, not on purpose, but like you see yourself fucking it up for no reason? I have not personally, but I think for a lot of people, if you're not used to 
stability, let's say. When you experience it for the first time, it feels unfamiliar and like can maybe even be threatening if you're used to a lot of chaos. Yeah. Why is that? I kind of want to go back to what you were saying about social anxiety too. I think that's interesting. I also think of when she talks about wanting to crawl into your skin when you walk into a room. I picture like there are other people in the room and they've been having a conversation or even if they haven't, that there's like unspoken conflict between them and you just pick up on it and you're like, oh, this feels bad. Yeah. Like there's anxiety in this room. I don't like this. Like when you walk in and someone's been talking about you and you just know they were. Yeah, exactly. And like you've got to deal with that vibe, even though you Mm -hmm. didn't create the vibe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the worst. Honestly, it's the worst. And going back to the other piece of that conversation if you've always had to be hypervigilant throughout your life, you have a hard time kind of laying that down and you're kind of always like looking around for some sort of threat. So if you're in a relationship or a situation where that isn't necessary, like you're still kind of doing it. Can't agree. Can't agree from experience. What a fierce calm that sounds like. Yeah. And I love that she came up with this term, fierce calm. And, you know, she was like, that's good. Let me write that down. And then she keeps peppering it throughout this. I know. So what do you think of when you hear fierce calm? Because that seems to be an oxymoron, right? But I kind of think of when you talk about going to the desert, for example, like we talked about on Juarez, where it's like, it's so quiet that it's almost loud. Like there's no city noise that you're used to. And like when you just sit there, it kind of feels overwhelming. The emptiness of it. And then you start picking up on like little details you don't normally hear like crickets or Mm -hmm. critters doing things. But it's kind of the same idea. Like if you're not used to that kind of calm or quiet, it's like, what is this? It's so loud, I can't sleep. Or it's so quiet, I can't sleep. I don't interpret it. And we'll get into this in the line by line section, obviously, but I don't interpret it as a oxymoron in the fact that I don't hear fierce in like the violent way. To me, fierce just means intense, that you're an intense calm. To me, you can be intense and calm. I don't know. To me, it's not. It sounds amazing. To me, a fierce calm sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. So to meet someone who's the fiercest calm, he's unwavering in any storm. I feel like whoever she's singing about is sort of a rock in that way. Totally, like a grounding force, yeah. Yeah. I love when she gets these phrases that just drop out of that sky onto her head. Like fierce calm, native invader. Mm Mm-hmm. Native invader. Native invader. From Mojo Magazine, you want to read this, November 99? Usually I have a bloodline going for a song, so there are certain marriages of words that happen. Sometimes I try and become the words, so I'll take on the properties and characteristics of a squeeze box, say. Am I still a woman as a squeeze box? Obviously. I'm going to need you to put this through the Tory interpretation filter. I'm sorry, huh? (laughs) She says, sometimes I try and become the word. So she's like, what is a squeeze box? And what is the intonation and the rhythm of a squeeze box? The song doesn't sound like a squeeze box, but it goes up and down and up and down and up and down, you know, like a squeeze box. And maybe that's what she's talking about. Like there is something very sexual about that when she, and just the word itself, a squeeze box. So if she is saying I have to step inside the word, if I have to become the word, or I try to take on the characteristics of the word, then it's very, technically then it's a very sensual word, squeeze box. So of course, then there becomes a sexual component to this song. It becomes a sexual element to the rhythm of the way like the arpeggios start the song. I feel like that maybe is her womanly interpretation of what it means to be a squeeze box. Am I still a woman while I'm doing that? Yes, I am still, but I am also a squeeze box. Or I'm just a female squeeze box. Right. Like she's become the intonation and the rhythm of that instrument. Like that's what she's attempting to do. 
Which we're picturing like an accordion, right? Yeah, like which a, is what yeah. a concertina is. Yeah, which is a squeeze box. Also, it's mm-hmm. also called a squeeze box. Mm-hmm. And is also there's still like an element of a keyboard instrument too. Yeah, because it's like a pump. An accordion is like, or a concertina, or a squeeze box. It's like a pump, like a, you know, <laughs> you like pump it up and down or closed in and out, and then one side has like keys on it. Nothing delights me as much as when you use your voice to approximate an instrument. I'm not kidding. I had a big smile on my face when you did that. Why? Are you humiliating me? I just like it. An accordion can be a squeeze box because if you looked up as we did, if you Googled the phrase squeeze box, you're going to get pictures of an accordion, but you're also going to find out that a squeeze box is like a radio as well. And it's also a song by The Who. Is it? Yeah. Well, the kids don't eat and the dog can't sleep. There's no escape from the music in the whole damn street. What kind of radio? I don't know. If you Google squeeze box, it's like this little like TV radio. I don't know. It's like a TV radio. Logitech mm. squeeze box, radio, digital media streamer, sealed in box for $400. Buy us one, David. Buy us one. I'm guessing this song predates that piece of technology. eBay was a thing in 99 though. Isn't it a digital streamer though? Yeah, on eBay. That wouldn't have been a thing in 1999. But it's on eBay. Okay. Concert eBay. Concert eBay. Concert eBay. Tori should really get into jingle writing. Pasta. I think so. Altadena. Altadena. From November 24th, 1999, Time Off magazine, she says, you always have to be listening to the song itself and to the soul of the song because sometimes there were different directions I could have taken the songs into and it's not where the song itself wanted to go. It's funny, during Concertina, the band all looked up at me and said, oh, just do it like you played it this morning on the piano. But I cut it to a loopy click track and said, get in there and pick up your instruments and we'll find it. I wanted those electronic drums that Matt was playing with because particle by particle she slowly changes and I wanted the sense of the acoustic piano with the electronic drums. That also occurs in Lust. So there was this dichotomy going on and I'm really drawn to that. She loves a dichotomy. She loves a marriage of opposites. She loves burying the Marys. Yeah, a squeeze box itself or an accordion is kind of a marriage of opposites. You've got this like high pitched in and out and then you've got the keys. I don't know, there's something so bizarre when you watch someone really good at it. It's like, it's a really beautiful instrument but you wouldn't think it would be beautiful it kind of feels very polka you know Mm -hmm. but like it can be really beautiful i always just think of constant craving is that like the most prominent use of accordion in a pop song ever Constant craving, constant craving. It's always been. I forgot there was accordion in that song. Yeah. You're such a Katie Lang freak. I am. <laughs> I have a Katie Lang kink. <laughs> what do you think she means by like, I wanted those electronic drums that Matt was playing with because particle by particle she slowly changes. Is that she's becoming the machine or she's becoming something different, whether it's the machine or not, but it's like the electronic invading the acoustic. Ooh, I love that. And that with every beat of his drum, Matt slowly changes her. You know, like the... That comes in kind of between verses, Uh between the chorus and the verse on the song. I imagine that's what she's talking about. Like that that was just playing on a loop and that's what they played to. Got that loopy click track. I love it. Someone should have done a documentary of that whole process. Someone should always be filming her in the studio. 
agree. When are we going to get our hands on all that Raw Boys from Pele footage? My God, Nancy Bennett, give it to me. I will tell you, my friend and I were talking about music, and he mentioned one of his favorite songs is Ohio by Neil Young, mm. to which, of course, I said, you know who does an amazing cover of that song? <laughs> Tor Amos. So then I sent him the Pancake Ohio from San Antonio 03. Mm-hmm. He's not a Tory fan. He's just my friend. And I sent him this video, and he enjoyed it, but I was watching it again for the first time. And how intense that video is, and how good that performance is, thank God. God, someone was bootlegging it. Like, all the things we've lost just because there's not a video camera on her at all times. I know. Awful. And it's like how Warren Beatty talks about Madonna in Truth or Dare. He's like, she doesn't want to do anything if there's not a camera on her. Like, what's the point? What's the point of performing if you don't have a camera on you? Let's preserve it. I know. I don't want to do anything unless there's a camera always on Tori. I know. (laughs) We're preservationists, though, you know. This is from Bang Magazine in the UK, December 2003. And someone asks her, when was the last time you were drunk? <laughs> she doesn't say on sessions at West 54th. Dyn- Dyn- dynasty? Uh-huh. Dynasty. <laughs> no. She says, on tour a couple of months ago with the band. We had a two-hour drive back from the show to the hotel, so we had a party on the bus. A good wine with dinner is where it usually ends, though. I'm 40 now. I like remembering making love these days. There was a time when I didn't want to remember, but I do now. Sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> to remember just kidding well what do you make of that last comment what i make of the whole quote is that she says i don't drink as much now usually a wine with dinner is where it ends meaning that before she used to get wasted so in 98 on sessions she could have very well been wasted right 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 right. i know you're team wasted for sure i'm definitely team wasted Uh but i was primarily asking what you make of there was a time when i didn't want to remember but i do now I think that's one of those instances where there was a time when sex wasn't such a positive experience for her. Totally. So it was easier to do it drunk, whereas now it's great and loving, possibly. And so I'd rather do it sober so that I can remember the good time. Agreed. I think that kind of like salacious, playful question actually got kind of like a profound, insightful response from her, particularly there at the end. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think she really intent. I think she just said it. And I feel like it was a discovery for her, too, in the moment, just of saying it. Yeah. You never know how it's going to go. You're like, oh, Tori, tell us the last time you were drunk. And she's like, well, I was always fascinated with the beheading of Anne Boleyn. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you never know. (laughs) There was that quote from USA Today earlier that we didn't really talk about. Sometimes I see the music more like a Dionysian frenzy. Mm. The concept that there are albums that make you happy and albums that make you suicidal. I don't live in that kind of segregated world. That's why being in a fierce calm really holds a frequency for me right now. What does that mean? Well, she wants the album to both make you happy and make you want to kill yourself. Yes. The same album. Yes. That nothing is either all good or all bad. I think she's always been intent on kind of, you know, exploring the complexity of life. Dionysus. He's at the heart of it all. Mm-hmm. Always. And I have to say, you like, you know, Concertina is the ultimate Dionysian frenzy. <laughs> I think that's what she's in. She's in a Dionysian frenzy when the band at is... At the beginning? Yes. When the band is jamming yeah. and she's putting on her lip gloss, she's like, mmm, her shoulders start bobbing. She's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bacchanalia, I'm the idea of the Dionysian frenzy women would actually like tear apart they would eat the flesh of men I don't know if it's true I mean that's just like in the mythology but they would like the bacchanalia is about women getting together and like tearing men's flesh off mm-hmm right that's what this podcast is about yeah basically and they would be inspired by the spirit of Dionysus to do so mm-hmm it was very sexual and very mad. It was all about madness and desire. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, should we get into the line by line then? Let's do it. Fine. It's time. 
We don't do this often, but we're excited to do it with this song. We have someone joining us here for the line by line. His name is Chris O'Gorman. He's a digital consultant for musicians who's worked with Capitol Records, Sony Records, and many more. And he's also a concertina super fan. Hi, Chris. Hi. And my favorite thing, he's British. (laughs) Talk to us about how you discovered Tori. Yeah, so I guess I came to Tori a little bit late, but it was this album. It was around the promo for this album. And I remember seeing, I was watching this show called Videotech late at night in the UK. I was into corn and Limp Bizkit and stuff like that at the time. But then she was on doing promo for this and she played this song. And I was just like, um, who is this lady? What is this? She played Concertina, A Thousand Oceans. And I was just like, okay, straight away went out and got the album. And the album was such a brilliant introduction because obviously it's got the second CD, which is like the live CD. So then I was just like discovered all the previous songs she'd done. It's just a perfect sort of entry point, I suppose. Then I went back and obviously got Little Earthquakes and Under the Pink and Choir Girl and Pele and everything. And um, But yeah, that was the sort of intro. What I didn't realize is I'd actually discovered Tori years before that. Because I loved the film Toys. Mm. It's so stupid now, but I didn't realize that it was her. And I loved the song, Happy Workers, in it. Basically, I taped it off the um, TV back onto VHS. And annoyingly, it cut off at the bit where the credits come up and it says all the songs. So for years, I never knew who it was. So I was like, okay. And I was like, is it Madonna? And it's not Madonna. It's not that. And I just never knew it was like years later. And I'd gone to see my mom and it was on TV. And she's like, oh, you used to love that when you were a kid. Let's watch that. And then we did. And then the song came on and she was like, isn't that that Tori Amos thing you like? And I was like, no, what you took. And I was like, hang on, it is. Bloody is. And then, so I didn't realize that I'd actually discovered her years later, but it was this song that I knew who she was. <laughs> so Concertina then, are you like a pig in mud when her next release, the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack had Carnival and Corn and Limp Bizkit, I'm assuming? I mean, it's just like, this is all coming together perfectly. Oh. It was all sort of made sense. Because other people were sort of like, how can you like go from sort of listening to that to Tori? And I was like, is it that different? I mean, it is obviously sonically, but I guess that, album showed that it wasn't that different and that those things can all appeal to the same people i would love to hear tori do a corn cover oh my god i have to ask since you are a consultant for music and musicians and you did work for capitol records and sony records did you ever overlap with tori on the dates no back in the day like when i was at sony she'd just been on epic and then she sort of as i was at sony she'd just gone over to universal as i started actually though to be fair no 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 that's not true she was at universal when i was still at universal she was with decca then and i remember just going oh man i but they were like a sort of a competitor label so i was like oh i'd love to have worked on that album but it did mean that i got advanced warning of when stuff was coming out so i did see on like the release schedule when they'd be like Oh my god. Oh my god, I've got to leak this to everyone. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I just want to say in my fantasy, you still hold the keys to Scarlet's web. (laughs) Imagine. It's there somewhere, though. Oh my god. (laughs) Okay, are you ready to do a line-by-line for Concertina? We've never done a line-by-line with a gentleman. I'm honored. Are you excited? Wow, yeah, amazing. Are you ready, David? (laughs) We're all just dudes here talking about corn. (laughs) (laughs) We're all just dudes talking about Tori Amos. All right, let's hit it. This is what bachelor parties are like, right? Yeah, exactly. Like the good ones. Clouds descending. Clouds descending. It's like the sense of foreboding straight away, right from the offset. Ooh, we're batting one for one right now. Good job. Don't try to talk about sports. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bachelor party. Thoughts, David? Yeah, I feel kind of conflict, a gathering storm happening here. I agree. I feel like it's getting darker. Night is coming towards us. Definitely a dark sky. Yeah, that's what I pictured. Yeah, really dark, really dark storm clouds, like sort of gathering. I'm not placing what 
I'm not policing what you think and dream. This is going to sound really weird, but I don't know why. And it's probably just because I know the rest of the album. But whenever she talks about policing in this, I always just think of the police in the A Thousand Oceans video. Oh. Like, you know, the riot police. I don't know why. It always makes me think of like there's some weird sort of police theme running through the album there. And I don't know if that's just me joining two things together that aren't, but it always just sort of stuck out to me. For me, this song is really grounded in Tori's new marriage. So I'm just going to dive right in with that. I'm sort of seeing the tension of fully melding with someone, but also wanting to stay separate. And her sort of saying, like, I wouldn't deign to tell you, like, how to think or, like, what you're fantasizing about. Like, that's your business. Like, I'm not going to get involved in that. Mm, Yeah. To me, I hear this line as a response to something that was said right before the song started. You know, if there is conflict brewing, if there is a storm gathering, that it's a response that someone has said, quit policing me, police yourself. Yeah. I'm not policing what you think and dream. Like, you do you. It's like her saying, that's not my business. That's not my problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of, yeah. I feel like she's saying, I'm not policing what you think and dream, but tell me. Because with, ne- <laughs> with the next line, she's like running into his thought or trying to figure out what he's thinking, perhaps. I run into your thought from across the room. I run into your thought from across the room. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just somebody that's really distant from you and you're trying to access what they're thinking. This is where I did think of the early days of her marriage and just thinking the two of them just sitting across from each other in a room and she's, you know, just sort of staring at him like, what's going on here? Trying to crack the shell of his brain. Yeah. And you know, there's people who can change the tone of a room, you know, at the blink of an eye. And I feel like she's walked into the room and there's something hanging in the air that she's like all the way across the room, but she's like, it's filled with him. There's something that he's brought, this energy that he's brought Mm -hmm. into the room that she's kind of having to navigate now. I think she's even been willing to say that Mark is kind of inscrutable and that talking about feelings isn't necessarily something that he's great at. And being British, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) We don't like to talk about feelings and stuff like that. I don't know. We're very repressed, very Victorian. (laughs) But we're going to make you do it. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. Just another trick. Can I weather this? Just another trick. Can I weather this? I don't know why, but just another trick always made me think of, you know, like when trick, like as in a prostitute, when people refer to like, I just turned a trick. I yeah. don't know why it always made me think of that. And I thought but it doesn't, it's kind of incongruous with the rest of the song. That's the thing about this song. It's just like there's so many different layers and I don't know if it's me reading the layers into it or because on one hand, it's like you say, this sort of conversation with her and her husband and it's her feeling uncomfortable and trying to get a deeper understanding of him. But then there's lyrics like that, which kind of throw it off to me and puts it in a different direction. Yeah. And I was going to ask, do either of you tie this line to Donut Song? 100%. Oh, I'd never thought about that. She does use trick in Donut Song, had me a trick, and we assume that it's sexual there. Yeah. Also, historically, when she references trick, you got the trick in Donut Song, but also when swiveling that hip doesn't do the trick. So it makes sense that it would reoccur in that same manner. But to me, I've always felt like it was just another trick has always been. This is just something else that I have to navigate. I think you're probably right, but... I do kind of tie this to Donut Song, which to me is about disappointment in a relationship or finding out that something is not all that it was cracked up to be. That it ended up just being a trick? A trick of the light, perhaps? Just a trick. And I could sort of see that here in that maybe like, oh, maybe this is like the first sign of like trouble maybe in their relationship. And there's this like, oh, is this happening again? Is this not what I thought it was? Right. Yep. And that explains then, can I weather this? Can I get through this? Yeah. Can we get through this? 
yeah can we sort of weather this changing part of our relationship together i suppose and weather it for the long term i've got a fever above my waist again that's why that line into this line is just like really sexual to me it's like that's the only way I heard it. It just sounds very sexual to me. Um, it do- Here's the thing, too. It sounds sexual to me as well. But now that I'm thinking about it, if I got a fever below my waist, that's really sexual. That's more sexual, yeah. But if I've got a fever above my waist, that means that you turn me on and I'm not even talking sexually. Like, I've got a fever above my waist. Like, you make me hot just all over. Yeah. Or a fever in my heart or whatever. Or I don't know, you know, what's the organ that's above you? <laughs> yeah, right. that's, a good, that's a really good point. Yeah. I was going to say, maybe my understanding of female anatomy is even worse than I thought. <laughs> I'm like, wait, where is it? This to me has always been like, I'm sort of like activated by Ooh. this conflict or this conversation. Like, you got me hot, hot and bothered, but not necessarily in a sexual way. Like mentally stimulated or emotionally stimulated, maybe. Yes, yeah. Or angry, like you got me hot under the collar, you got me pissed off, enraged. You got a squeeze box on your knee. You got a squeeze box on your knee. That I definitely heard as sexual. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I never thought of the instrument. No, I didn't. <laughs> I never <laughs> What is it, Constantine? It's like a mini accordion yeah, type thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I never thought she was talking about that. I thought she was definitely talking about <laughs> her vagina. I think so too. I think this song is seeped in sexuality. A squeeze box. She's making a metaphor for how he plays her with his fingers. So this is the moment. Okay, now bear with me. It's just we dudes sitting here talking about <laughs> sex. But I think they are engaged in sexual intercourse. You've got a squeeze box on your knee. Like, I'm here on your knee. There's that moment where they're entwined and she's turned on fully with a fever of above her waist like this is the moment for me of sexual intercourse but it doesn't have to be david you done clutching your pearls i am thankfully i i muted myself you guys are trancing my sauce right now (laughs) i don't even know what to say but also i need to point out on this show we say virginia it's pronounced virginia of course (laughs) because we're repressed here too (laughs) those lush virginia hills yeah (laughs) you got a squeeze box on your knee got a squeeze box on your knee he's also a musician i mean i don't know about 99 but like he's an engineer so he's got musicality in him so that's true he seems like the kind of guy that also could just pick up an instrument and just be kind of playing around with it and just sort of experiment with it to see how it sounds especially when they were setting up the studio as well so he could easily just be trying out loads of different instruments and and just playing around with stuff yeah is it funny that there's no concertina or accordion in the song at all yes always i thought i was like surely and i always expected it to pop up at some point on a live version but i feel like the it, din, 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 like the beginning is her impression of a concertina yes, it's like the synth version of it yeah, um, yeah i guess it is a synth yeah i don't think tori at this point in her career would have been that obvious to make this like a polka but maybe <laughs> i definitely think this is sexual like you guys said and we talked about a quote from tori when she's discussing the song where she sort of poses the question can I be a woman and a squeeze box? Or when I'm a squeeze box, am I still a woman? So what does that mean to you in the context now that we're actually talking about the lyric? To me, it's kind of asking, or she's exploring that thing she loves, which is like the marriage of like the sensual and like the divine or sacred sexuality or whatever. It's like when we're having this moment, am I still like a whole and complete woman to you? Or I don't know. What do you think? Well, in light of that quote, then I'm going to double down on the idea that the squeeze box on your knee is her. Yeah. He's got her in the palm of his hands. 
and she is fully turned on. She is marrying those Marys. Is this the moment in her career where the Marys have gotten married? Like this is where they say, I do? This is it. This is the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I do. We always try to track it. This yeah. could be it. It's like, do you take this Mary? <laughs> it wasn't Tori and Mark. It was Mary and Mary. Right. Actually. It was Mary and Mary. Day. Yeah. <laughs> I know the truth is in between. I know the truth is in between the first and the 40th drink. I love that because it's like, as somebody maybe has had a drink in my life once or twice, <laughs> there's definitely that sweet spot between when, like the lowering of inhibitions, when you're like, okay, I can sort of talk about this now because I've had a few drinks and stuff, but then right to the other side where you've got people that are just so plastered, they're just talking utter nonsense mm -hmm. and saying stuff that just makes no sense. It really is that sort of sweet spot in between the lowering of inhibitions and sort of saying something. And I don't know if that's like her and him enjoying their sort of love of wine or when she starts saying things that she wouldn't normally have said or him. Maybe I'd say, I actually always thought of it as him saying something and then she's like, ah, that's the real truth right there, what you just said, you know? Right. I think you're right. And I've always thought of alcohol being kind of a truth serum in the context of this song, especially if we're talking about someone who isn't forthcoming with their feelings. It's like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. He's had like just enough to start really sharing or telling the truth. Yeah, exactly. I picture her plying him with wine or Krug or whatever, <laughs> just trying to get him to be less British. <laughs> <laughs> I love this line as well. And I think, yes, the inhibitions are lowered and you find your truth in between somewhere in there. Like something will be said or something. The truth is there. But I'm going to remind you of a little song called A Sort of Fairy Tale where he pulled the hood right back where he could taste heaven perfectly. I think the truth lying in between the first and the 40th drink, that sentiment can also house something like, yeah, we can fuck the first time. It's all fun and games. But by the 40th time, there's a truth in there somewhere where there's intimacy and there's honesty. We'll find it or we won't. And even not finding it is the truth of it. So like in between where he's a trick and where he's like a lifelong partner, the 40th meaning the infinite drink, I think, that in there somewhere in the middle, they're going to have to come to terms with what they really need and want and expect from each other and are to each other. So that's how I've always taken the truth lies in between the first and the 40th drink. It's like between us being just one night stands and us being lifelong partners, like somewhere in there. Yeah. Between now and forever. Sort of. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, I like that. I'd never thought about that. I thought of that when I was between the first and the 40th drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Towards the 40th. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was the 39th drink. Yeah, it was the 39th drink. That's where my truth usually comes. Right around 35. Things really start to come into focus around the 35th drink. Yeah. yeah, totally. By the time you're 35, by the 40th drink, I will have blown them all. Sounds about right. Constantina, Constantina, Concertina, Concertina, a chill that bends. I guess to me that's like just distance, coldness. And I don't know why as well, but it sort of like reminds me of China as well. It's sort of like a bit of a callback to China in the, like the distance grows. A chill that bends, the distance learns to grow. I don't know why it always had a bit of a parallel to me mm. with that song, particularly when she goes into the next lyric. It's like a coolness, a coldness, yeah. a distance. But it's changing, it's bending, it's changing, it's morphing. I mean, like how if you take this back to Mark, which she has to be singing about, and you take the next line. This is where you the come up in 
this I swear you're the fiercest calm I've been in. If he's calm, but he's fiercely calm and he's cold, it's a chill that's morphing, like you said, but also like a chill that can change how she sees chill. Like she's always seeing mm. someone being cold to her in a certain way or like this coolness maybe isn't necessarily about her and it's not anything that needs to change them. He's just a fierce calm. I don't know. What do you think, David? Yeah. I love that you brought China into this conversation and the idea of distance or even a wall because concertina is also kind of another term for barbed wire. There's concertina wire. So there's this idea of someone who's walled off or who has boundaries that are too strong or, you know, something that she can't get past. Yeah. Because the thing is, in her mind, I suppose it would be like, if there is his British reservedness, is her kind of going, is there distance here? And is it like her calling back to that relationship that she was writing about then going, oh, God, this is the end of the relationship. This is where things start turning sour. And then thinking, oh, is that happening again now? Obviously, it isn't. It's just that he, you know, he's a probably just an introverted guy or whatever. But um, that's interesting that you said that because, yeah, I wonder if part of her, is, as she's writing it, thinking, oh, is this history repeating itself? I like the idea, too, of a chill being able to, like, shape a relationship or shape a path. Like, we're on a certain path, we're headed in one direction, and the chill bends that road or bends our journey. Yeah, so guiding. There's also the possibility of the chill. Maybe he's being less cold and it's bending that way. Mmm, yeah. This is where this i swear you're the fiercest calm i've been in like you're unlike anyone i've ever met i always heard that it's just calm frenzy and this is where it comes to like being in you know when it's like absolute frenzy on the inside but your outside is just completely calm and being like okay or like an analogy of like a duck that's swimming in the water and it's like paddling like crazy underneath the water but on on the surface just cool and calm and chill that's what came to mind for me but she's sort of freaking out about maybe the status of the relationship or freaking out about something or having sort of a bit of a moment, but not wanting to show that to him, not wanting to convey that and trying to just keep that composure. We read a quote earlier where she said, do you ever feel like you walk in a room and you don't know why, but you're just so uncomfortable, you're crawling out of your skin, even though nobody's touched you physically? That's in concertina when you feel like you haven't excavated enough of your different personalities that when one pops up, you're not sure where it came from and you try to hack it out of yourself. It shocks you that you could have this kind of fault or that other people could bring it out in you. And I feel like that's popping up here in the chill that bends, in the fierce calm. I think you're right. And I was going to try to tie that quote to this particular portion of the song too. To me, there's almost this feeling of when you're in a room with someone, whether it be a partner or whoever, and they're not saying anything, but they've kind of turned off and you just know that they're upset and they're completely silenced and maybe even stone faced, but you can almost feel like the waves coming off of them. And you're like, "Uh oh, this is, this is not good. <laughs> so there's kind of like a fierce calm in that too. That's interesting because I never thought of it as his fierce calm. Really? The other person's fierce calm. I thought of it as her fierce calm. Like she's feeling a certain way inside him, but just wanting to stay cool and calm and collected on the outside. But actually, that's a good point. It's it's his fierce calm, maybe. Well, I've always thought of it being his fierce calm because she runs in. I run into your yeah, she thoughts. Runs into, yeah. 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 And it's you're the fiercest calm I've been in. Because uh, I always heard it as like the fierce calm that he's generating in her. Oh. This is where I love that because he is himself such a fierce calm. How could you describe him otherwise? He's just intensely calm and focused. And within her, he creates 
this new feeling of calm, which is a really fierce emotion. Maybe, maybe it's both. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know how, again, like someone can change the mood in a room like David just said too. like, mm. you're then in their world. Like I run into your thought. I'm in your fierce calm. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that phrase, fierce calm. Like it is calm, but it's fierce. How do you describe fierce? Is like fierce a bad thing? Are we thinking like fiery and stormy? Are we thinking like fierce and severe? Or are we thinking like fierce, girl? Get yeah, it. That's, that's what I always think like fierce. Fierce. When I first heard it, I didn't think of fierce that way. I, just, I wish I did. I wish I could have been like, fierce, but I, <laughs> I just thought of uncomfortableness. Like, yeah, fierce look or something like that. And, and again, not in the way that I'd say a fierce look now. <laughs> I think of passionate. Oh. And that maybe this is kind of unlike any relationship she's ever had before. And she's used to like a lot of upheaval and conflict. But for the most part, he's a grounding force. And she's maybe having a hard time squaring those two things. Like this is the most stable, calm relationship I've ever been in. And my feelings for you are like exponentially stronger than those I've had for anybody else, which at first glance seems to kind of be at odds. Right. It's like the stablest relationship ever. And that's almost freaking me out a little bit. Or yeah. Do you know yeah. Like that? Yeah. Oh yeah, I like that. Constantina, Constantina, Concertina, Concertina, try infrared. The infrared is, is something that's, I guess, invisible to the naked eye. So it's something that she might perceive that if there were other people in the room, it's maybe a behavior that she's picked up on or something that she's picked up on that nobody else in the room would pick up on. So she's picked up on this sort of internal discomfort or you know a slight shift that nobody else would have even acknowledged. I love how this ties to thematic motifs on this album, like Supernova Juice and Circuitry. And like mm. she's talking about the internal with it, but using this terminology that is taking her, like this outer space terminology, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. And that's what gives this album its very distinct flavor. Yeah, this is sort of like little technical terms almost. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tap it in. Yeah, I love that too. She's like, lasers, infrared, space. This represents wanting to sort of shift perspective. She's still trying to gain access to his internal world, maybe, like figure out where he really is or what he's really thinking. It's like, okay, well, let me switch to infrared and see if this picks anything up. Interesting. Oh, like, let's examine this on a cellular level. Mm-hmm. say i really love the imagery of being in a calm like you always say you're in a storm and in this moment where she is vocalizing the calm up into the ether it just feels so almost utopic to be in a calm yeah the soul quake happened here in a glass world it's my favorite favorite lyric in the really? whole song yeah and it always reminded me of the Under the Pink album cover where she talks about, you know, that interview where she talks about all the broken glass mm -hmm. and she's wearing that white cotton dress. And if she, oh, if I fall on that broken glass, there's nowhere to hide the blood and, and all of that. And I just thought of a glass world. And that's what the glass world looks like after the soul quake happens in it always just reminds me of that. And also soul quake, earthquake, there's yeah. that theme that always seems to come back again. It completely makes sense in the context of this song in that if you're talking about like a fierce calm and there's you're sort of at a point in this relationship where you've got to a point of comfort or 
whatever but then something shakes that something shakes the foundations of that I love this imagery and I feel like when you're living in a glass house everyone's looking in from the outside and if you think back to the even a thousand oceans video she's in a glass mm, world and yes. someone came and really just blew her world apart in a good way but yes. blew yep. that world apart and shattered it I love your tie back to under the pink album cover I love that too. And this is the Tory verse. So, you know, everything's connected. Yeah. I'm also thinking of Goodbye Pisces with like, there I go again, breaking porcelain. Mm-hmm. Mm. But the soul quake to me is just a very poetic way of saying, I am shook. I am shooketh. Or this relationship has shaken me to my core. Completely changed me too. Yeah. yeah. Or even just this conversation, maybe. Yeah. And it's that juxtaposition between glass that's so delicate and easily breakable and something that's quaking. I always liked that combination. Particle by particle, she slowly changes. I want to take this back. I have this giant glass desk that I've had for 15 years. I've had to repurchase twice the top part of it because two different times in the last 15 years, or I guess 16 years, it's shattered into a billion bits. Oh, shit. And so when I think of the Soulquake shattering the glass and particle by particle, she slowly changes. I just think of all of this, like when you smash a windshield and it's a million tiny little pieces, mm. those are the particles that are slowly shifting. These tiny, tiny little bits of glass that are maybe coming together and fusing to make a different shape of glass world or different kind of thing. Yeah, because I always think of like... um what's happening in the glass to make it weaker or make it stronger how the particles shift i'm not a scientist but (laughs) (laughs) what but yeah i was thinking of that because she's obviously thinking of stuff on a sort of molecular level here yeah i guess it comes back to that theme of for me this whole song is like this weird push and pull between the sexual angle but then there's like the discomfort angle and it's like this push and pull between those two things and the particle by particle she slowly changes always like oh i'm uncomfortable in my own skin and i'm trying to change i'm trying to shape shift Yeah, I keep going back to who she is in the context of this relationship, too, and how having a certain level of trust, a commitment, or whatever it is can change you on a molecular level and shift things around. Yeah, that's what I hear, the molecular Like, that's exactly what I think, is this person changed her on a deep, deep molecular level. Yeah, he shattered her desk. (laughs) He cracked her windshield. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're all looking for, someone that can crack a windshield. I agree, again and again. With a crowbar? Yeah, please. (laughs) She likes hanging Chinese paper cuts. She likes hanging Chinese paper cuts. To me, this is one of the most elusive lines in her catalog. I always heard paper cuts as in, ow, I got a paper cut. Mm-hmm. And again, I can't help going back to other songs. Like you say, like the Tory Metaverse, um, the cuts on my knees in Girl. I always just thought of that. Like, I don't know, are paper cuts like an ornament or something? Well, Chinese paper, Chinese lamps are made out of Chinese paper, which is a really thin paper, which of course you can have just like cuts of paper, like Chinese paper cuts, like the cuts of the paper. And I think this is just like the sonic texture or the the texture of the lyric because hanging Chinese paper, yeah. I think she's going to say lamps, but as she say- The pa- things that float, right? Yeah. Have, like, the little cat. Yeah, yeah. Chinese lamps, Chinese paper, Chinese paper cuts. It feels like being wounded by something so delicate. But she likes it, too. I don't know what you get out of that, David. I think you're so right. I've always just had like a very visual association with this line. And I've 
thought of, you know, paper cuts makes me think of like origami, which I know is traditionally associated with Japanese culture, not Chinese. But I've kind of imagined just paper folding or creating something. And for some reason, I'm also liking that you brought up under the pink and specifically the white dress. Something about this line has always made me picture someone almost in like a hospital gown who is maybe like institutionalized or at the very least like an aspect of self that dissociates and like withdraws from this conflict and she's just like in her own little internal world folding paper making cranes or something yeah because you know like in films when you always see when someone's been maybe institutionalized or something and there's that one sort of craft that they're allowed to do and you can completely picture that yeah totally Just another fix, can I weather this? In relation to it being just another trick, mm. the trick being what was wrong, you know, that she's constantly tried to put a bomb or a salve on something that's been broken. So this is just another fix. This is just another guy. But like, could this be the final fix? Could this be the fix? Mm. Or is it just another fix, you know? Yeah. If in relation to the trick. I feel like it's moved the story along by a few years because it's like it was just another trick. But then just that one word being different, just another fix, is like it's sort of zoomed out from like if there's like a timeline of uh, romantic relationships, it's zoomed along a few years to it being just another fix rather than that phase maybe in her life, you know, particularly around sort of after that time in LA, you know, after Why Can't Tori Read, you know, into Little Earthquakes, it's called everything was kind of maybe a trick. At this point in her life, it's kind of like I'm needing to patch things up and it's like kind of um, patching holes in something or sort of patching, yeah, like trying to patch something together, trying to keep it afloat. And like what happens when your survival mechanisms don't work or when your fixes that have always worked for you or the things that have always worked worked for you when they don't work yeah your go-tos aren't working anymore interesting i've never thought of this as like a patch of some kind i've always thought of it as you know like getting my fix like a drug fix yeah and as we've gone through tori's catalog specifically during the boys for paley season when we talked through so many quotes and heard so much from tori herself without using the terminology i feel like she's all but referred to herself as a love addict yes and she said basically like i've always just gone from relationship to relationship and never really spent time on my own so i also kind of like the way you brought in maybe this is like the last fix it's like oh is this kind of like my last well what is a fix if not a fix you know that's true because she has talked about getting on a plane and flying hours just to go and get her fix of that guy at that time mm -hmm. who wouldn't though <laughs> right guy there is no plane ride too long exactly especially with the frequent flyer miles i'm sure she had <laughs> It's true. And back then, you still got a free meal on your flight. Oh, yeah. You could smoke on the plane, too. It was the 90s. <laughs> I got my fuzz all tipped to play. It bothers me so deeply when people say this is a nonsensical line. There was somebody online who was like, that makes no sense. But to me, it makes a deep carnal sense. I got my fuzz all tipped to play. I'm ready to go here. That's how I take it. What did you think of as fuzz? Because <laughs> I don't want to say what I thought Like about. peach fuzz. Like you've got your peach fuzz. Although it is obviously, I know I can feel David clutching his pearls. <laughs> it's also like one of those terms like circuitry, supernova juice. These terms in this world, because it's an audio term, fuzz yeah. and dub. Yes. But she's taking it into the personal, and that's what Tavina Simbach is. I got my fuzz all tipped to play. Yeah. Like I'm ready to go here. I'm turned on. 
that's what I always thought. I okay. 100% always thought Thank that. You. But in later years, I was just like, oh, fuzz. Sometimes people refer to like the police as the fuzz. And then there was like that policing thing earlier. And I'm like, am I overthinking this now? <laughs> police me. Police me. See? Police exactly. me. Police me. Police me. Oh, Eve, I love that we have such an emotional shorthand that you can run into my thought from across the room at this point. <laughs> and you just know when I'm clutching my pearls. But yeah, I think this is like one of the most, I don't know, I don't want to say filthy, but kind of profane, even though like yeah. the word fuzz is not profane, but it kind of is the way yeah. like she uses it here. I'm like definitely picturing her Virginia. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. Was that before I said that or like you felt that always? Yeah, no, I've always felt that. Okay. Okay. She's got her fuzz all tip to play. Because it sounds so innocent and like... Well, it doesn't sound innocent. I would say it sounds filthy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just have to ask, what do you think she means by tipping it? I almost imagine her with, like, mascara. Like, she's given a little touch-up before. No, oh, no, no. I think of, like, tipped as in, like, erect. That's ready. how I am yeah. ready to go. Golly. Yeah. <laughs> I got a dub on your landscape. I got a dub on your landscape. My eyes on your prize. <laughs> My eyes on you. This is the one line of lyric I've never quite got what she was. Because I always think of dub as, like, I'm sure she would use the word dub from a musical term. Like I'm dubbing that mm-hmm. vocal dub. Like, so I've, I always hear it as a musical term. So I've never quite got what she means by it. This is the one line that has stumped me. To me, it just goes hand in hand with, I got my fuzz all tipped to play. I got a dub on your landscape. Like I'm ready to go and I'm looking at you. Like right. your landscape, your body. I got a dub yeah. on your <laughs> landscape. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you, Eve. And this is another moment of her kind of peppering in sci-fi or yeah, space like terms. spacey terminology. She's like, Tori, Tori bot, targeting. Right. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of the jewel bot. R.I.P. The measure policy of And there's your policy of trancing the sauce without the blame, which to me is so romantic. And here, bear with me. If I got my fuzz all tipped to play, like I'm ready to go and I'm looking at you and my eyes on your prize, but you have a policy of trancing the sauce without the blame, meaning to have sex with someone without the guilt or the shame or the blame, like that's your policy is to do it that way. She's here coming at him sexually, but he's looking at her like we have right. this policy where it's intimate, it's romantic. And that together is like, it's again, the Mary's marrying the intimacy and the sexuality. And that's how I see this line. Then there's your policy of trancing the sauce without the blame. Trancing the sauce, meaning like extracting the juice, trancing the sauce. Oh, getting... I never heard it that way. I heard it. Then there's your policy of trancing, comma, the source about the blame. Mm. Not there's your policy of trancing the source. I don't know. I guess I heard them as almost two different lines. So like then there's your policy of trancing. I almost thought of that as him going into a trance-like state or being quiet and meditative. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like that calm coming back from the chaos almost. And the source without the blame, I thought as the dirtiest lyric in the entire song. Mm. I was like, she's talking about seminal fluid. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was a sexual, like, I don't really know what the blame is. But all I know is when I first heard it, I was just like, oh, is she talking about that? And when you combine it with all the other lyrics, I was like, I 100% just went straight to that. She's talking about the source without the blame. I thought, to me, she's talking about seminal fluid. And she's like, oh, it's not my fault. I, I, I made you come. It's not my fault. 
<laughs> oh, interesting, David. <laughs> what, me with all this body? I just couldn't help it. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> if I really loved what you said about physical intimacy without guilt or shame. Uh-huh. And I think you're probably right. And I'm just going to take that into the future. And that's totally how I'm going to like interpret this song from now on. But I also have to say, you know, sauce is another word for alcohol. So I'm kind of tying this to the first and the 40th drink. So maybe it's like, oh, like, never mind. Like, I was drunk. I don't know what I was saying. Or like, that's not true. Interesting. Yes. That was just the Krug. That wasn't me. Yeah. Yeah. Trancing the sauce without the blame, meaning to like get fucked up without worrying about it yeah. the next day or what? Or having to have responsibility for... What you, for what you said or, said or what you yeah. did, yeah. Okay. Yeah, my mind was filthy when I had. Oh this my god, we're this. filthy. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we can't have men on this show. Mm. <laughs> One track mind. <laughs> Low at the time. When does the stripper show up? Where is the sauce? The measure policy of trancing. The sauce without the blood. I want to say, too, my primary go-to way of interpreting this line has been there seems to be an aspect of emotional infidelity to me or like a flirtation outside of their relationship. And that, to me, has been trancing the sauce, like kind of flirting with someone or pushing it too far, but then like not acknowledging it or being like, what? It was nothing. Like, I didn't mean anything by that. It was just a look. I was just, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just mm -hmm. acknowledging their aesthetic it would have been rude to not say anything, so... Exactly. God. I mean, come on. Constantina, Constantina, again anything changes here in this chorus for you although it's interesting because like she makes little tweaks as it goes along especially in the um the end of the verse into the chorus she makes those tweaks that are instead like just another trick can i weather this just another fix can i weather this but then the chorus remains unchanged i don't know if that's me just reading <laughs> like no i love it oh is there a reason why the chorus remains unchanged but the pre-chorus bit changes especially because a lot of times she does change it yeah she is not one to shy away from messing with a chorus right so <laughs> Too far, too far. It could all get way too cheerful. To be fair, both in the lyrics book and in the booklet, she doesn't say cheerful now, even though it feels like that's what she's saying. And sometimes I've heard her say, it could all get way too cheerful in this house. I've always heard is too far, too far. It could all get way too cheerfully now. Mm. But it doesn't make any sense, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw in an adverb. It's almost like she's saying, um, it could all get too cheerful now. Oh, don't let yourself be happy, because the second you let yourself be happy, some horrible thing's going to happen to mess it all up. That's how I always took that. It's like, don't let yourself be too happy or too comfortable. I think you nailed it. I think that's perfect. And there's kind of an element to me of if you've always had to be hypervigilant, or if you're accustomed to toxic or disordered relationships, when you experience stability, it can feel threatening to you or just not right and you're like wait what is this can i trust this yeah you're waiting for the the other shoe to drop 
Yeah. I agree with both of you. What resonates with me is that it could all get way too cheerful now. Like, oh, this could be, wow, what it's going to be like to just be happy. Right. We're not playing around anymore. It's the long haul. And it's that mean everything that I guess comes with that. It's finding real happiness is then like, I'm in this for the long haul and it's commitment. And it's, um, yeah, it's not playing games anymore. Exactly. I find it really interesting how she phrases it too. It's like, uh, it could all get way too cheerful. Like it's a threat. Like the idea of it getting cheerful is threatening to her. Or like she's, it's freaking her out. But I can also see another side where it's not threatening. Like, okay, we can do this. It's weird. It doesn't feel necessarily familiar, but we could try the cheerful path and i'm ready for some cheerful yeah yeah she's sort of like embracing it. it's not like she's saying i don't want the cheerful i'm ready to embrace it and go and go with it exactly which is reaffirmed by i got a fever above my waist you got a squeeze box on your knee so they just do it to the end of time the song ends with them yeah. doing it <laughs> i know the truth lies in between she does change it from the truth is in between and then the truth lies in lies between, in between. Yeah. so i'm thinking i'm right in the terms of getting drunk and having sex <laughs> <laughs> so you're thinking of lying down not being untruthful no yeah i'm thinking of like with whom you lay oh not somebody lying the truth lies the truth and lies are in between so the truth is in between meaning like somewhere between the first and the 40th drink you say what's really on your mind and then somewhere between the first and the 40th drink you're telling lies is that how you see it yeah yeah i had this sort of truth and lies sort of not that like when you're at the 40th drink you're lying necessarily but it's like you're so out of it the truth you know it might as well be a lie for some truth to occur between the first and the 40th drink you have to imagine that the rest is lies Mm. You know, like if the truth is going to happen at drink 12 or whatever, then drinks 1 yeah. through 11 were not entirely truthful. Or they were like, you're lying through omission in the first sort of early drinks, and then you're just lying through not knowing what's going on in the latter ones. Mm-hmm. But then there's, again, the sweet spot of, like you said, the truth serum, where it comes into full effect. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know the truth lies in between the first It also could just be wordplay. I mean, it could just be the fact that the truth is in between the first and the 40th drink. Another word for is, is lies. It lies in between. And she loves candy lies, truth lies, all kinds of lies. Give, mistake. She loves a pun. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of it ending circularly, cloud descending? I almost feel like this whole song or this whole conversation is a fantasy. Like someone said something or they had the start of a conflict and she launched into this whole fantasy of how it might play out. And now she's snapped back into reality of like the beginning. And she's just like silently hanging her Chinese paper cuts, like playing out this whole fantasy. Yeah. And they're like, what What were you thinking about just then, Tori? And she's like, I can't explain <sighs> I can't, it. Yeah. You wouldn't get it. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> um, what's your favorite lyrical moment? Starting with David. 
Uh, let me think about it. And while I'm thinking about that, I want to ask you guys, do you think, not to get too much into like anyone's personal life, but I guess it's too late for that now. Do you think they have knockdown drag out fights where they throw things at each uh, other? I don't, <laughs> no, no, I don't think that they do. I'm just thinking of like four songs. I think at a certain stage, she was 100% having those kind of fights with people. But I think at this stage, not so much. Okay. Well, I'm sorry for asking, but I can't help but acknowledge that there's at least four songs with broken glass and plates and people screaming. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of broken porcelain, a lot of broken china. There's a lot of broken glass that keeps recurring. But in answer to your question, my favorite lyrical moment, I think, is this, I swear you're the fiercest calm I've been in. I think this kind of just says everything. And there's this element of in the best relationships, hopefully relationships that are supportive and loving where you also do your most growth and you grow together and that can feel a different kind of scary too and like a different kind of fierceness so i just love this back and forth of stability and good upheaval i love that what about you chris to be honest it's like a bit of a battle for me between that lyric that line of lyric uh this, the fiercest calm i've been in and soul quake happened here in the glass world for some reason i just gravitate more towards a soul quake happened here in the glass world i just just so pretty and beautiful and i remember when i was listening to corn and stuff and all of this and then there was just like this line of lyric i was just like oh wow the way she talks about things it's just like taking something that's just like articulating the fact that i feel like the floor is falling out underneath me right and at the same time i'm trying to keep this pristine delicate glass covered surface intact i just love that lyric i just think it's, it's so beautiful whether or not it has any callbacks to Under the Pink or anything, whether that is true or I made it up, I just love it. For me, it's I got my fuzz all tipped to play mm -hmm. because whatever that means to me, it just is very evocative, even if it is nonsensical and she's just putting <laughs> words together that like fit into her sonic landscape, then I even love that process. I got my fuzz all tipped to play. Yeah. And I also like, I got a dub on your landscape. Like, yeah. whatever the hell that means, it's what so it means. ripe <laughs> and open to interpret it your way. Fuzz or tipped to play, like, what can go wrong after that? Like, things are going well. Like, it's definitely not a bad thing. No, this, this song's going well. This song's going so <laughs> yeah. good. This is a totally sensical line. Everything's going fine. What's your favorite vocal moment? Like, your favorite vocal performance part? For me, it's the very end when she does a sort of swell back up and it goes high again. And it's sort of, there's just like this swell where it's like clouds descending. And you would normally have like, you think descending. So you'd go, oh, you'd go low in the, uh, you know, you take the vocal lower, but she takes the vocal higher. She's saying descending. And I like that juxtaposition. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if this is a cheat or not, but I'm going to go with the backing vocals from the single mix. Ooh. Tell me why. I just really love that. And I know we don't even agree on what exactly she's singing, but I just find it very pleasing how it comes in in between the lines with the why, why, you watch where you go. I don't know. I just love it. <laughs> what do you think she's singing? I hear watch where you're going. And I hear watch where you go now. <laughs> so not that, I, I mean, basically the same thing. <laughs> but anything's possible. For me, my favorite vocal moment would have to be too far, too far, too far. Mm. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like the perfect entry into that bridge. What a good song. Yeah, it's great. And I have to say, as beautiful a song as it is, like on the recorded version, when it's live, and I don't know if you guys are like band version versus piano version, but the version when she plays it on Jules Holland is as close as I've ever found to the first ever iteration of her playing it on Videotech. Uh -huh. And that was the version I remember. And she's doing this arpeggiated thing in the like right hand. 
and it's just so beautiful. So that Jules Holland version of her playing this live is like ah uh, everything. Well, we'll definitely play that in our live section. Chris, thank you so much for being on our show and for coming to do this with us. This is so fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is really good. We'll talk again, Chris. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Take care. You can follow Chris on Instagram or Twitter at Chris M. O'Gorman or hit his website up, chrisogorman.com. This is a layered acapella vocal by Isabella Brennan that we found online. We'll link to it in our show notes, songsoftoriamos.com. Line, Joseph Jagger out of Reading, England. I love talking to the Brits. You know I do. Hi, Joseph. Hi. It's lovely to speak to you. You're a concertina super freak, right? You love this song? Absolutely. It was the first one that really, really grabbed me in a way that totally unlocks Tori for me. Your Tori story is linked with concertina. So tell us, tell us everything all at once. So my sister was a massive Tory fan. She's four years older than me. She was into Little Earthquakes, Boys Pele, Under the Pink. And because she was an older sister, I went, ah, not my bag. You know, like you do, you rebel. And I dabbled a little bit. I had a cassette of Boys for Pele like we did back then. But I literally got sick of the album by the time the Blood Roses came on. I was like, <laughs> nah, it's not for me. Think you're a queer? No. No. I just found it too challenging. Sometimes I got as far as Marianne and loved it, but generally speaking, no. So Tory was there, but then I was recording late night uh, music shows on VHS. And one of them was called Videotech here in the UK. Dreadful show. Don't ever watch it. Uh, Tori came on one night and she was there dressed in like Venus purple. It was incredible. And she played concertina and lust acoustically. I'd never heard anything like it before. I was completely spellbound. Even though I'd heard of her, I was not that bothered. And then it literally hit me like out of space. It came in it. Watching her added a complete other element to the music and the particularly the outro on Lust, which is I know you'll get to on a later episode, but the outro for me on Lust is like one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever by anybody. But the way she played it, even despite the fact the interviewer was awful, was incredible. And I watched that VHS over and over and over again. It was something that just grabbed me. And then by the time that the album actually came out, it was the first album that I actually went out and bought with my own money. And I fell in love with it. Obviously, we're here to talk about Concertina. And what really, really struck me when I heard the album for the first time was how she'd murdered Concertina by doing it in such a produced way. Of course, I've changed my opinion later on down the line. Oh, because you'd heard it acoustically first. Exactly. And it was intense and it grabbed me and it was beautiful. The fact that there was the band 
what is this electro nonsense? I'm not on board with this. I can't do this. What have you done to this incredible song? Couldn't understand why she'd done it. But actually, as the years went on, as I listened to it more and more, what really, really struck me about this song was Amos as the producer. I think the electro elements of this song were really quite incredible. And I've had this journey with Concertina through the years that has been marvellous. And I love it. This is our Britishest episode of all time because earlier we had Chris in our line-by-line line section who mentioned Videotech as well. Apparently, this was a transformational moment in England for Tory fans. Really? That's so interesting that somebody else said that because I'm telling you right now, you cannot find it on YouTube. I have tried. Yeah. You cannot find Constantino on there. It's really upsetting. I find it really interesting that somebody else said that because... That moment for me and that holding on to that video cassette was like the birth of loving Tory. I'm so glad that somebody else saw that and felt that too. Apparently there were concertina waves rippling through England on that day. Now tell us a little bit more like what you think the song is about to the story. Okay, really I think it's about finding yourself in a really uncertain circumstance it's about that self-doubt that you find walking into a room i mean she says it famous quote i think there's like two but it's about having that self-control and how we react to a danger or a, a threat of some kind the things that we do to get ourselves through those moments it's about stepping into a different personality it's about the things that we do to help ourselves carry themselves through that. Uh, the good luck charms, the Chinese paper cuts, the things that we put up that make us feel like we're a little bit better. It's something in your pocket that you just know you ha you carry with you for strength. But also I think it's about drinking maybe to make it a little bit easier. And I think that is about projecting the real you. Also potentially about helping others to doing that to us so saying well this person's much better with a drink inside them the first and 40th drink somewhere in the middle there is the person i like and it's about how we adapt ourselves to those sorts of situations and the hell that we put ourselves through i'm sure we've all felt it that way in one way or another but really i think one of the things that struck me about this song is the production of it and i think that this song is the emotion of this song is really communicated through the production. I think that there is a real push and pull of emotions and the, the obviously the concertina. And it's a bit like being surrounded by white noise. You know, you've walked into a room and you've kind of gone, I can't cope with this. I can't cope with putting on this persona or I can't cope with doing this. I can't cope doing that. Teetering on the edge of being in quite a threatening place, a bit like being inside the concertina. Mm -hmm. And I think sonically, there's a huge left to right shift when you listen to it in headphones. Mm -hmm. I think that the really important part for me is at the very start. And she says, you know, the truth lies in between the first and the 40th drink. And the fact that the band kicks in on the word truth, I think, is not to be underestimated. I think that's really, really important. It just demonstrates where she's at when she's writing the song. And it's about not really feeling confident in yourself and walking into a room and kind of going, I need to adapt myself to this or that and it's pretty awful and I'm trapped in this white noise and this fierce calm that's kind of where I'm at with my interpretation of the song. I love it and it's the perfectly chosen word for this feeling because it is a noun obviously it's also a verb and I mean I love the idea of the shape shifting the act of being pulled and pushed and compressed but where does that inspiration come from is that a piece of art is that a photograph of a concertina where does somebody 
pick up on the concertina as an image that will carry the song. Like, if you're going to try and put together these sorts of things to create a song, why would you think concertina? I I know. It makes no sense. Brilliant. (laughs) Joseph, I so have enjoyed talking to you. And where is Reading in England? Is it like in the middle? It's kind of outside of London. Oh, okay. Please tell everyone where they can find you online, where you'd like them to follow you if they were so interested. If they were so interested, they could find me on Twitter at Squinting Puppy is me. I generally tweet about Tory things or <laughs> nonsense. Which sometimes could be the same thing. So <laughs> follow Joseph at Squinting Puppy on Twitter. We'll link to it in our show notes, obviously. Yeah, Joseph, come back again soon. I would love to okay great (laughs) great bye you can find the rest of that wonderful interview on our patreon feed patreon.com slash songs of tori amos it's a really really great interview you can find a ton of extra audio content there as well patreon.com slash songs of tori amos this is a super jazzy cover of concertina the karaoke verge him me too that was great should we listen to yanta i think we probably should This song feels cold to me. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. But like spatially cold. Yes. Space-wise. Yes. kind of syncopation of those almost hiccuping grace notes that Yonta always gets exactly right and a lot of this as always is lost under the vocal or production especially on Venus so I love this this song's busy this is very busy constant playing are holding the notes over every other bar too I feel like very circular mm-hmm. you know I 
After our conversation too, I'm now kind of imagining circular uncoiling barbed wire. sense of like Alice falling down the, the hole, you know? Just oh, like yeah. Tumbling down. I love that. I can totally see that. It's like getting really spinny, falling down a rabbit hole into happiness. Like, mm. What's happening? Mm. It's getting so cheerful. <laughs> the greatest adventure of all, my own happiness. you think amazing all told now that we've talked through the song and listened to the song i don't know i feel like this might be my favorite tory love song not a traditional love song in any sense but i think it is one mm, i definitely agree with you that it is not a traditional love song but that it is one but it's your favorite yeah maybe yeah it's a great song and i do feel like there's a special connection whenever she plays it live like i feel like there's a reason for it and i feel like she is being sexy on the piano and i think it is like a showpiece for her man Mm -hmm. there's no denying i always had a hard time sort of understanding why she paired that kind of peacocking during the instrumental intro and made this song kind of sexy but now that we've talked through it it makes sense to me Yeah, totally. You did bring up Concertina Wire, but what we did not talk about earlier, and I'm remiss that we didn't mention it, is that Concertina typically is a noun, a small instrument with bellows like an accordion, but with buttons in place of keys, is also, as you mentioned, coiled barbed wire used as an obstacle. It's also a verb to become compressed into a shape reminiscent of a concertina or to be drawn closer and further apart repeatedly or up and down as if situated on a working concertina's fold. So it is itself the instrument and also the act of playing the instrument is concertina and that's the verb. And so we've got here a noun or a verb. Oh my God. But can I mention too that that's amazing? I love that it's specifically said being pulled closer together and drawn closer apart. Closer and further apart. Yeah, yeah drawn that's like the push and, yeah. push and pull rhythm of any relationship. Absolutely. Like too far, too close, no come closer. Hit me, kiss me. Or, you know, that's how I interpreted it. (laughs) But I do like to be drawn closer and further apart 
going back to what we were talking with Chris just a second ago about being a chill that bends. Things are constantly shifting Mm. and trying to navigate this new world, what happiness means or what this forever relationship means. Mm -hmm. It's not just happiness as it's written on the page. You're not just sold happiness and then, you know, you got your happy ending and there you are. It is a constant drawing closer and further apart. It's like constant shifting Mm -hmm. and shape shifting. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's tricky when we use the word happy because that can sometimes mean just kind of like a, a goofy grinning happiness maybe like contentedness is a better word like even trickier too is the phrase happy ending mm. like we found our white picket fence happy ending it's over we're happy credits roll yeah exactly what's your favorite musical moment i do love the bridge with the too far too far too far because it really does like there's this gathering tension or gathering storm almost that makes me think of the clouds descending line and it kind of breaks open too like the storm actually breaks it's so good and particularly at this point in career always but especially at this point there was really i feel like an aspect of storytelling within the music itself that's really amazing i agree with the full production as we hear it on the record the bridge too is my favorite moment Mm just because it does like explode there kind of. Mm-hmm. Do you know that moment in the Cornflake Girl video, the original, the UK version where she's like floating through space backwards? Yeah. She's kicking her legs and her arms are like wiggling. Like yes. that's what I feel like. She's <laughs> flying through this cosmos of joy. Yes, <laughs> I can see that. And for some reason, the way her limbs move in that video, it seems to me like she's almost stop motion animated. She's like a little clay T-Rex like, ah. <laughs> I love it. From what we heard just now with Yanta, my favorite musical moment with just the piano then would have to be just the motif it's like such a i don't know it's Mm. it makes me feel like i'm lifting off somehow even though it says clouds descending i feel like i'm ascending Mm. that part yeah and someone mentioned in the comments that just hearing concertina on piano it sounds kind of like oysters and i can see that or hear that Oh, definitely, because that's the sound of her, like, turning oysters in the sand. Mm. Good ear, whoever mentioned that. You could support Yanta by heading over to his Patreon page at patreon.com slash Yanta. If you really like sheet music, you can also go to our friend Paul Roy's website, which is figuratoryout.com. He's compiled 20 years of transcriptions onto his website. They are originally from the Yahoo group, Figuratory Out, but he's preserved them all on figuratoryout.com. You have to be a member to access the transcriptions, but it's free to be a member. So head over there now. You want to talk about the single mix? Yeah. From Launch.com, on February 3rd, 2000, Launch asks Tori if the remix of Concertina is the kind that might turn up in nightclubs. And Tori says, no, it's not a dance mix. What it is really is some background vocals were added and a different read on the song. They're similar, but one is just a little more hi-fi and more like ear candy. The new mix is like a colorized film. The film is the same, but they just colorized it. Amos also assured fans that the new concertina is not a complete rewrite. I didn't want them to change so that I say cloud 17,000 times. That's not what I wanted. People get confused when you call something a remix because today remix means that it becomes a different structure. I didn't want the structure to be messed with by one bar. Clouds, 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 descending clouds. Clouds, 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 descending. That's a missed opportunity. That's how we should have been celebrating surviving the millennium. That's true. Fuzz, fuzz, fuzz. Fuzz, fuzz, descending, fuzz, fuzz. Trance, sus, sus, sus. sass, trance, sus. Descending, soul, 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 quake, quake, quake. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome, world. You're welcome. Talk about it. I love the single mix. So do I. I think it's my preferred. 
really go-to mix yeah i really love those backing vocals it's not significantly different by any means it does have i think some added effects and production adding some more subtle texture than the album mix but it's primarily like the backing vocals kicking in that really shift it what do you think i do like the single mix i don't necessarily like it more than the album version i do feel like it's the first time in tori's career for me where the vocals the backing vocals feel not intrusive but feel obvious or very they're just very clear in the mix oh oh you watch where you go uh-huh. you know that part yeah it feels very present i don't know it just it made me feel weird and it was such a surprise you think it's jarring it is a little jarring for me, but getting that single wasn't jarring. Let me tell you what I did. There was a hop guy who worked at the record store that I went to and I loved and eventually worked at. Anyway, when that CD came out, there was only one copy on the day that it came out. And I, maybe I didn't know it was coming out that day. I don't know. But when I went, it was there. I was like, I have to have this, but I didn't have any money on me. And so I was like, Marcus, could you like, I'll pay you back. And he bought it for me. I just used my flirtatious eye batting. Ding, ding, ding. My goodness, you were such a hot kachina. I <laughs> Just another trick I was. <laughs> you can't even weather this. I didn't. I never paid him back, but I got it. <laughs> oh my God. You're like a black widow. I know. And that day, or like soon thereafter, I read a review of it, the single, and I cut out the review of the single and put it into the CD case, as well as the receipt. I used to store like the receipts in the cases and like things like that. Just like, in just... case you wanted to return it months later. No, no, no. Like, you know, like <laughs> hype stickers and stuff. Just like the things that were would preserve the purchase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You made a little time capsule for each release. I sure did. I remember Christina, our friend Christina, who appeared on the Way Down episode, her saying at the time, or a little bit after, that, you know, Tori made this album very quickly. She wasn't even expecting to make it. And they kind of, you know, pedal to the metal. I remember her saying... In her opinion, the single mix of Concertina is what the rest of the album would have sounded like if Tori had continued to tinker and taken more time. But is that good, though? Or is that bad? Um, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you can, like, you know, polish something to death. You really can. Yeah. And that's why deadlines are good, because you have to let it go at a certain point. I agree. I do like the single mix, though, but I don't like it above the album mix. Mm. I feel like the album mix lives in that world. And I know what she has said about it, but I still feel like it's up. The whole album itself is perfect. So it wasn't that the mix itself wasn't perfect. It just was not the album. And then therefore it was a little jarring. And so it just took me out of that world. Mm. So yeah, it was the first time in her career where I felt like, what? Would this be as jarring to you as if the Dakota mix of Hey Jupiter had been on Boys for Pele? I love that mix, though. But it doesn't belong on the album, though. But I've never heard Boys for Pele with it on the album, nor have I heard Venus with this in place of it. So. Mm. Have you ever heard Venus without Daytura and with Zero Point? Never in a million years. Zero Point does not belong on Venus. No? No! I have strong feelings about Zero Point. I love it. It's in my top three songs, but it does not belong on Venus. Why? Okay, we can't talk about that right now. But We can't talk about all songs today. <laughs> what actress would you say could play concertina? Kristen Stewart! Oh, God, I said it. What did you say? Kristen Stewart? Is that what you screamed? You didn't hear it? That's good. It was like a possession. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to hold I it in. I sure what was happening. <laughs> but who really? Oprah. Really? I'm not kidding because she's the fiercest calm I could ever hope to be in. Oh, is that what you're basing it on? Kind of. Well, in this moment, my casting isn't always based on like lyrics necessarily, but there's something Just about... Just like the vibe. I don't know if I'm going to change my answer, but I'm going to offer another. Who? Chelsea Handler. Why? 
I don't know if you know what she's been up to, but she's been out talking about her recent breakup with Joe Coy. They broke up? Yeah, you didn't no. know that? They found each other after years of being friends and then they broke up? Yeah. If they can't make it, who can? Anyway, she has gone through quite a transformation. She's out there being like really vulnerable and open and she just seems vulnerable and I just love hearing her speak and she's been in therapy and she talks very positively about that. I just feel like she is feeling her feelings and she is experiencing like a new fierce calm. So I'm going with Chelsea Handler. I love her. I don't know how to play this casting game because what are we casting on? There's no right or wrong. I think the person needs to be a little sexy, you know? Oprah. <laughs> needs to be a little sexy and tempestuous a little. Mm. Like, obviously, there's a fight happening in the song. So someone who's access to all emotions at all times and also the calm. And so I can only cast one person in that role. And it's the mighty Sherilyn Fenn. Thank you. You're just on a Twin Peaks thing. I am. That's fine. It's fine. Just be honest about it for once. She could do anything. Sherilyn Fenn. <laughs> Posted to Really Deep Thoughts, January 4th, 2000, from Laura. Subject, buy me the concertina promo single! Hey everyone! No, really, I just saw the cover of the concertina promo single that has been sent out to radio stations, and I think it is the most beautiful picture of Tori this side of the Precious Things promo single. While you're at it, pick me up one of those too, will ya? Anyway, although I love the cover, did anyone else notice her odd resemblance to Jewel in that photo? Like, I never thought T looked at all like Jewel, like even a little, but in that photo she does. Something about the soft cheeks. Also, for all you doubters, Y2K does in fact exist. My whole office was awry today and everyone was in a pissy mood because despite being off for three days and at about a gazillion dollars worth of prep, the machinery was just too old for Y2K. We spent all that money on band-aids when we really could have spent it all on new equipment. Personally, I am of the school that believes that Y2K is a very real thing and most companies just got lucky. Toodles, Laura. I'm on the line with concertina superfan David Raymore out of New York City. Hi, David. Hi. How are you? I'm fantastic. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Tell us your Tori story. Tell us how you came to Tori and what you love about her. Okay, so I came to Tori through my mother. Mm. I was born in 84, so I'm not young and I'm not too old. You know what I mean? But my mother, I remember in 1992, driving around with her in her car in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, listening to Little Earthquakes. And she would listen to it on repeat over and over and over again. So it kind of became ingrained in my head. Then she gave me the tape single for Black Swan and Past the Mission. And there's like an amazing picture of Tori wearing this like silver skirt over these black tights mm -hmm. she gave me that single tape and i remember listening to it on repeat and then there was this thing where you could order cds online and i remember my mom would let me do that she would let me order the cds and i remember checking the box for boys for pele and that cd came and it spoke to my queer boy little heart in ohio like no other and so i was addicted and then 98 was my first 
concert in Cleveland at Gundarina, which is now something else. But Concertina is your signature song? It's just like one of my favorite songs. And it's because it reminds me of my mom. So my mom died 10 years ago of alcohol abuse. And um, there's something about this song. I mean, I know that she referenced, you know, the truth is in between the first and the 40th drink. And there was something about that line, even in 1999, when I heard it, that always resonated with me because I was always kind of a detective with my mother. And like, is she drinking? Is she not drinking? Is she drunk? Should I get in the car with her? Should I drive with her? So there was something always very connected to the song. And even reading online about like other people's interpretations and stuff of the song, it seems like it's always about shape shifting. Mm -hmm. Like the whole song is about shifting personalities, which the thing I love about Tori is that a song from 1999 can still be so relevant inside my head in 2022 Mm -hmm. with like a whole other set of shape shifting imagery. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Let's explore that. First of all, I'm sorry to hear about your mother. And I want to hear more about how this song has transitioned from that place you were in 1999, what it means to you now all these years later, 22 years later. Yeah, I mean, I guess there was something about this song. It feels like it's a woman's name too even though now researching i know that concertina's it's an either a noun or a verb which i also loved it's a musical instrument or it's something bending and coiling Mm -hmm. so my grandfather used to play the accordion so it kind of like it is like a harmonic instrument and i also kind of felt like there was something about it that felt like a winding up a musical box like The way that the rhythm is, I feel like that whole album, she went so into this trippy world, like the sound became so trippy. Thinking about it now, I kept thinking about how it reminds me so much of like Alice in Wonderland. Even like the first breath she takes at the beginning, it's like she's diving into the song, like she jumped into the rabbit hole and she's fucking falling. And it's fun, but it's also like she's tripping on something bad. You know what I mean? It reminds me of that book, Go Ask Alice. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, who put something in the sauce? You know what I mean? Now all of a sudden I'm fucking tripping and I don't even know what's going on. The song is so trippy. It definitely is. And I love, I mean, we've talked about the noun verb idea, but I've never heard it as someone's name, possibly. And that's interesting that there is this mythical person or this person in the Tory verse who embodies this idea of the shapeshifter who is herself compressing into different forms. Totally. Yeah. In 2011, I actually saw the artist den. I was there for the filming when mm-hmm. Tori did her thing here at the Armory in New York. And it was so cool because she had to start playing concertina. She had to restart probably at least three times. She kept messing up and it was so cool to be there for that. You know what I mean? Because they were taping it so they could restart a million times. Yeah. Because in the concerts, even though I know there are moments that she has messed up, I've never really been there for that. She always seems like she just keeps going. So it was cool to see her 
she had to restart it. And the one keyboard having the strings on it, I was actually re-watching the recording of it. And to see her face, she's like true fairy Tori. Mm. I feel like it's a play. She's like playing in the concertina. It's like, it is Alice in Wonderland. She's drinking the Mad Hatter's tea. You know what I mean? She's getting maybe too drunk or like she took the wrong drugs and like she's getting big and small and like she's really like playing with that. I just, (laughs) I don't know. I just like, I love it. I love your perspective. It's unique to what we had talked about. So I love having that side of things. What's your favorite lyrical moment? I think it's at the beginning when she takes the breath, she jumps in, it starts. And then there's a moment where the bass comes in because there is this rhythm that keeps going through the whole thing. There's a moment where it kind of pops in at the beginning. I love it. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I love it. Yeah, (laughs) David, let everybody know where they can find you online if they would like to follow you. You can follow me at David Raymore, which is spelled M-R-A-M-O-R, and also at Mix Enid Ellen, who's my drag persona. She was kind of named after Myra Ellen. Oh, cute. At David Raymore or Mix Enid Ellen. And we'll link to those in our show notes at songsoftoriamus.com. They'll be right there for you to click and follow. David, thank you for making the time to talk to us today. Thank you. That's just a small part of a longer interview, which you can find on our Patreon feed, patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. You can also head over to our show notes page where you will find a link to this song you're hearing now. This is Mayel Isaac's cover of Concertina. And we'll be right back. back to the lounge david all right let's put some concert in this concertina for this episode i thought we should have a party in the lounge and i have made you 40 drinks and you have to drink them all and tell me where the truth lies okay somewhere in between there i guess if you had to have 40 drinks in a night how would you divvy them up like you had to have 40 drinks like it was a bet you lost okay how would you divide them like what kind of time frame would i like to imbibe them over No. Or what do I want them to be? Yeah, what would you want them to be? I don't know. Just water with a squeeze of lemon. (laughs) All 40? Yeah. That'd be easy to drink. Eventually you'd get waterlogged. Yeah, I guess so. Well, where's the nearest bathroom? That might impact my decision. Do you think that is what's being depicted on the Bliss single? 
Tori's like in the bathroom after having lost a bed and she drank 40 drinks and she's like, I'm just going to stay in here until this is over because (laughs) it's either you're waterlogged or you have alcohol poisoning. You just have to pick one. That boa makes me so nervous. Why? It's going to like dunk in the toilet? Yes. That bathroom looks filthy and you're like dragging all this unnecessary accoutrement around. It's like, what's next? A cape? It's going to be dragging on the floor. First of all, we've already discussed this. There's no toilet in that bathroom. That Well, because the toilet is where the camera is placed. That's why. Oh, you think Lauren Haynes is like standing on the toilet? Yeah, the picture is taken from the point of view of the toilet. Are you serious? That's blowing my mind. It's not <laughs> out of the realm of possibility. Anything's possible on Venus. Anything's possible on Venus. Yeah. Exactly. The toilet itself could be taking the picture. Yeah. We are here to discuss, not that, David, we're here to discuss the live performances of Tori Amos's number three track from her number five album, Concertina. Well, that's fun, too. Yeah, I'm ready for this. Tori Amos has performed this song 117 times in her career. Are you shocked by that? No, I'm actually surprised it's not more. Mm. She loves it. So when she does play it, she just loves it. She does love it. And she loved it from the beginning. This is the first time we heard Concertina on television in any kind of live performance. This is a small little interview that was shown on a Belgian TV show called Canvas in 1999, early in the promo cycle, where the interviewer actually goes into the studio with Tori and you get some like studio live performances of these new songs. There's an incredible performance of Bliss that we didn't see until after the Bliss episode came out. So expect that in the wrap up but here's this really great performance of concertina solo Tori loved this song on the promo circuit. This is the actual, what I can find, the debut performance of this song solo on the promo circuit. This is August 21st, 1999 in Atlanta on 99X. Tori has performed this song a total of 14 times, five times for five and a half weeks, two times for two Dallas and back, and seven times for solo tour. Whoa. I'm not usually a conspiracy theorist, but I'm sold. What am I missing? Two times on two Dallas and back? 
five times on five and a half weeks, seven times on the solo tour. Solo? What? Yeah, she performed it solo on the solo tour. It's a conspiracy. Okay, all right, I got it. You gotta keep up, David. I can't. Moving to Saratoga Springs has made you slow. It ha- Well, it is a slower pace of living here, I have to say. You do have to say. I wish I was lying. <laughs> <laughs> That's our new favorite saying. It is. This is August 27th, 1999 in Camden, the world-famous debut of Concertina. If anyone in the world knows one thing about Tori, it's that she debuted Concertina in Camden in 1999. And they remember everything about it. Yeah. This is, um, we never played this before. So, um, you're a virgin for us. And us for you. And, um, it's probably going to be a bit messy and I'm probably going to fuck it up, but just stay with it. This is August 29th, 1999, and I play this because, David, it's from Saratoga Springs. been to the Saratoga Performing Arts Center yet? Not yet. I might go this week, though, actually. Do you think Tori might be there? Yeah. Still performing concertina? Yeah. yeah. It could be like that little affair I went to where I was convinced she was going to be there for absolutely no reason. <laughs> I'm going to go see the Philharmonic at SPAC and be like, is Tori here? She's just waiting for you. This is from WXPT Minneapolis 104.1 The Point on September 16th, 1999. I want to play this because the intro is fabulous, but despite what she says, I think she does play this often at the piano, even at this point. So this is off the new record, and I rarely do this at the piano because um, uh, nothing really on the new album is just piano. It's kind of piano meets... um, high heel shoes, and lots of knobs. Um, So this is Concertina. Here we go.
And I also love this intro in Boise on October 9th. I hate to alarm you or take you back to a painful memory, but this is Tori performing Concertina on October 11th, 1999 in Denver, Colorado, the first time we were ever in the same room together. And it came right after the Riot Poof, Sometimes He Wears Heels debacle, which was surely a shakeup for your favorite song, Father Lucifer, and then Concertina. Do you think she did the bridge because she had, in fact, gone too far? I wasn't sure which painful memory you were going to unearth. There's so many. Yeah, I know, and you managed to leave one out still. Oh, no. Which one? The drive home after the show where I decided it was a good idea to drive in one sitting overnight from Denver back to Los Angeles. Absurd. With Shaggy's help? Question mark? <laughs> I've been in that car. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've had Shaggy's help on the road. Yeah. <laughs> October 29th, 1999, Tori did a one-off solo show, which ended up not being a one-off, but it was great. October 29th, 1999, in London. This is the very next day, October 30th, 1999, on the Jules Holland Show, Hair on Point. She likes hanging Chinese paper cards, yes. And just another fix. Can I wear the ears? I got my fuzz all tipped to play. I got a dub on your landscape. I got my fuzz all tipped to play. I got a dub on your landscape I got a fever above my waist You got a squeeze box on your knee I know the truth lies in between The first and the fortieth grade I have to play this because it jingled my jam. It jammed my jingle bells. Mm. <laughs> this is Jingle Bell Jam, December 2nd in Wallingford. I get a little tingle from that jingle.
I loved the solo performances of Concertina after the five and a half weeks tour, after all the like band tour. I loved these solo performances of Concertina. Tell me why. I thought it was so beautiful. Hearing it without the band really like amplified or elevated the beauty in that riff and the motif. You know what we didn't read, David? What? Remember I told you earlier today that I had clipped the review for Concertina that came out in Billboard magazine. I kept it in my CD case. Mm-hmm. Well, I have the review in front of me. Do you want me to read it to you? Please do. Okay. Read it in your best 1999 voice. Tori Amos, Concertina. Producer, Tori Amos. Writer, T. Amos. <laughs> Publisher, Sword and Stone. I wonder if they're the same person. Atlantic 3000. 016 CD promo. We love a catalog number. We should see if there's more. We should scoop them all up. Grammy-nominated Tori Amos' current album to Venus and Back is the finest project she's issued in a number of years. What number? One? While the initial two singles from it, Bliss and A Thousand Oceans, were among the most spiritual and satisfying tracks we've heard from the left-of-center artist. Ever? I guess so. Unfortunately, some of her previous efforts have been inconsistent, prompting modern rock radio to eventually shy away from airplay. It's a shame that radio still seems to be shaking its head now, given the lustrous beauty of what we have here. Concertina showcases the fact that the artist, again, recognizes the importance of a good hook and she dresses it up nicely with compelling instrumentation a nicely paced mid-tempo vibe and a lyric that as always is a puzzle to figure out man this is a great song well deserving of success over the airwaves if modern rock radio doesn't bite then opportunities certainly exist at triple a modern adult and adult top 40 come on tori tears it up here isn't that nice kind of tears it up it's nice but like backhanded in a way Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. They're like concertina, SMH. Yeah. (laughs) I love how they're like, she finally once again recognizes the importance of a hook. Yeah. I just don't think this person understands how to listen to hooks. Boys for Paley is full of hooks. I don't think Tori's ever written a song, like, genuinely, that doesn't have a good hook. That's just, like, atonal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Daytura, kind of. Except for there's a hook in there. There is. Even the piano riff is hooky. Come on. She'll get your hooks. I'm not even doing it right. It's 5-7. Yeah. That's all I know about that song. Gonna make for a good episode, then, if that's all you know about that song. (laughs) I have years. (laughs) Oh, shit, we're on that season! I know. (laughs) Oh, crap. Strange. So strange. So strange. In 2001, Tori Amos performed this song 15 times. How do you feel about that? Mm, I'm ambivalent about it. I could have gone for more. I would also have been satisfied with less, I guess. I don't know. Insightful, David. Yeah. This is the debut in Clearwater, Florida on September 29, 2001 at Ruth Eckerd Hall. And according to the Dent Review page, specifically Jello Fairies Review, they say, Tori played it one hand on the roads and one hand on the boozy. But halfway throughout the song, I think she got mixed up and couldn't get the octave or the interval right on her piano hand because she was trying to figure it out. But it sounded great and it was pretty. Roll it, Oliver. Chinese 
This is October 4th, 2001 in Charlotte with a little improv before about being an octopus. This is a moment from October 21st, 2001 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is Concertina from Paris, France, November 27, 2001. And you know why I'm playing this. Because I'm learning French. Yeah. I think she may sing it in French. Let's listen. Turns out she didn't. Can you do it then? Uh, <laughs> I don't know the words for clouds yet or descending. Mm. I know the word for I'm not. 
I don't know the word for policing. I know the word for what. I know the word for you. I know the word for think and the word for and, but I don't know the word for dream. How about a gimme like fuzzle tip to play? Oh yeah, I know that. Okay. Let's Google translate fuzzle tip to play into French. This is why people listen to us, David. We're wild. For linguistics. We may be crazy, but we're free. <laughs> we not only dance like no one's watching, we talk like no one's listening. I have it accidentally set to Spanish, and in Spanish it's Tengo mi fuzz todo inclinado para jugar. I love when words are universal. Tengo mi fuzz todo inclinado para jugar. But in French it's J'ai mon fuzz tout pushué. Hmm. See? Beautiful. You sound like Creole Lady Marmalade. Thank you. On the 0203 Scarlet's Walk Tour, Tori must perform this song 29 times and then an additional 10 times on the later Lot of Pianos tour. That's where you pulled earlier when you were talking about like the sexy intro, the peacocking as you called it. It began on this tour. Yeah. Her lip gloss application. Yeah. Lip gloss boost, some might say. Yes. One leg up on the bench. Cape to the breeze. Cape flowing. On November 7th, 2002, opening night of the tour in Tampa, Florida, she performed this song, the second song after the solo section. there you were yes it was amazing yes it was exciting it was can you explain fun. something to me i'll try how does tori choose the extended band jam songs that she's gonna like put the leg up on the bench for and do like the hand waving like come on john give it to me yeah well watching it evolve over the ocean to ocean tour i think it just she needs a moment it probably started with her needing a moment to put on lip gloss and then like liking the groove so much that she just like let it breathe and then like turned around and like looked at them and gave them the credit and then just realized like oh i I could just spend a lot more time with my back to the piano here (laughs) yeah it just evolves over time david so you think it was a coincidence that that happened to occur during mother revolution or she chose that well, it had, I mean, that song was unlike the other songs in that it had like a really strong opening riff with just the bass and drums because sometimes she'll start a song and she can't do that when she starts a song, you know? So it's like a magical potion of things that have to occur for us to get a sexy back on the piano dance. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be a good riff that makes her feel sexy. It's got to be a good riff that makes her feel good. She's got to want to dance. She's got to need a lip gloss boost. Yeah. I mean, I guess this has been true over the entirety of her career. Tori and I have different definitions of sexy. Clearly. <laughs> different ideas of what's sexy. And I don't even just mean like in terms of music, probably in terms of men too. She said in the past, like what I think is cute is like sick to most people. Like when she's up there grinding on this past tour, like doing her Please thing. Please don't say grinding. But she was grinding. I never would have guessed that it was going to go into lucky me. Lucky me. Lucky me. 
I'll also add to our magic potion of things that it has to have at one point been an encore song because she has to hear the band doing it on their own while she's off stage. And then she realizes, oh, this has room. And here we are not even halfway through the tour. And she's already feeling the jam. December 17, 2002 in Los Angeles. We were both there. And this was the first of two shows. And I was sitting by Reese Witherspoon. This is when text messaging was born. Do you think Reese Witherspoon is still a big Tory fan? Probably. Why didn't they put Concertina on the Big Little Lies soundtrack? I don't know. We should find the music supervisor and just ask that one question. Yeah. Since we're tracking these moments, this is the very next performance, December 20th, 2002 in San Francisco. And this is the first time that there was like a jam in the song during the show, not like at the beginning of an encore. And if you go to The Dent, this is a review from David Averbach. And he says, during concertina, Tori seemed to be surprised when John Evans did a bass improv before the song. And she gave him an, I can't believe you just did that. I'm so impressed with you. Look, gestured about being pregnant using her own body and then pointed at him a few times. My friend and I couldn't figure out what she was trying to convey. If she was pregnant with John's baby, was she so impressed with his bass lick that she wanted to have his baby? Or that the woman that John is attached to was going to have a baby and he was so excited that he played something special. I think it's none of those. I think, I can't even remember if I was there. I certainly don't remember the gesture, but I'm assuming it was that she was saying, that is one fat bass. This is the last time she performed it on the Scarlet's Walk Tour. This is April 27th in Houston. I was there. In 2005, Tori performed the song a total of zero times, so we're skipping to 2007. Mommy, kiss me goodbye. 
Mommy, what's going on above my waist? On American Doll Posse in 2007, Tori performed this song 11 times, and guess which doll? Guess which, you're, ne- you're not going to believe this. Guess which doll? Tori. The Tori doll. Yeah. She's like, none of these girls get my husband. No. <laughs> <laughs> This is Tori performing it on October 24th, 2007 in Buffalo, New York. Guess where she performed it? At Shay's Performing Arts Center. She didn't even tell us she had a performing arts center. Oh my God. She's always so humble. Shay Pack! <laughs> Most of these can be found on iTunes or Spotify on the Legs and Boots series. So, shall we move on to 2009, David? I'm ready. And when you see somebody that is attractive to you, you're sinning. You're just sinning. I'm so excited we finally have a bumper for 2009. Yeah. In 2009, she performed this song 16 times on Sinful Attraction and four times on Sinful Attraction solo tour. Can you believe that every time anyone finds anyone else attractive, they're sinning? Yeah, I can't believe I am sinning. Uh, That's why I'm always relieved when I'm in a room full of men. I'm like, well, I guess none of you are going to hell. That's good. (laughs) None of you will be sinning tonight. (laughs) This is the first time she performed it in 2009. This is July 27th in Atlanta, Georgia. October 3rd, 2009 in Paris, just a stellar performance. Conversely, this is the last time she's performed it with the band. This is October 10th, 2009 in Warsaw at Sala Congresova.
What's the significance, do you think, of putting the song between Icicle and Flavor as it appeared that night? Oh, boy. Honestly, the first thing that <laughs> occurred to me is that there's a progression of melting about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Interesting. I sing Flavor, Icicle, Concertina, Clouds Descending. There is like a... And I feel like the song itself is like has an icy feel to it. At least the album yeah, version right. does anyway. Yeah. There's a glass world, which is kind of icicly and frozen. Shattering, yeah. Yes. Here is Tori performing this song on December 2nd, 2009 at the Jazz Cafe. This was the Midwinter Graces release show, basically. On the summer tour 2010, the festival circuit, she performed this song six times. Loves a concertina in the summer. Mm. Here's the first time at Bonnaroo on June 11th, 2010. I have to play this one. This is July 21st, 2010 in Bloemendal, Netherlands. And this is the last time she played it on that summer festival tour. I love this. What do you love about it? I love beauty. You heard it here first. In 2011, on the Night of Hunters tour, Tori Amos performed this song one time, but more interestingly, this song has the distinction of being one of the very few tracks selected for her only performance in 2013 at Caprice. <laughs> Roll it, Oliver. On the Unrepentant Geraldine's tour, Tori missed this song nine times. 
times. <laughs> nine times? And I don't give a shit. Nine times. I'm not apologizing for crap. This is the last time she performed it in 2014. This is Sydney, Australia. The orchestra show, Solo, November 12th. Tell me why Australia got an orchestral show and the United States never did. That needs to be rectified. Well, there's a lot of problems in this country. Invader Tour. In 2017, on the Native Invader Tour, Tori must perform this song one time. It seemed to stick with you, according to our live show commentary that we did. That's true. It scared me. That's all she wrote. That's all she sang. That's all she tina Tina. Get out. Let's go. All right. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the AMOS Live Lounge. Goodbye. did it, David. How do you feel? Well, I'm happy for you to be in Saratoga Springs. You are? Living your best life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you are. <laughs> I'm just checking. <laughs> yeah, I am happy for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You linoleum floor bitch. You linoleum floor bitch. <laughs> if you like what we do, head over to patreon.com slash Amos where you can become a patron supporter today. At any level you choose, we have extra audio content to please your ears, to tickle your fancy. So please join our Patreon today. All of our fuck around Fridays from Never Shut Up are moving to Patreon, so that's exciting. That's a weekly Tori Amos concert pulled from bootlegs, customized by your questions that you ask the Instagram, and pulled from the Torical. It's all very elaborate. DJ I.I. Eve. Oh, that reminds me. I saw DJ 
Mateo Sagare last night. You did? At the club. I did. Did he pretend he didn't know you? Why would you think that he would pretend he didn't know I don't know. know. I just didn't know. I don't. Not because you deserve it. I just didn't know where this show was going. But he was spinning for Sugar Tank at Precinct, and I saw him, and it was like he was on the second to last song, and they had already announced Last Call. And I was like, is that Mateo? And so I found the picture of Tori Amos from Ocean to Ocean, where she's got her hand over her eyes, and she's like looking into the distance. Yes. Looking for some fucks to give. Yeah. I put it long ways on my phone and then I held it up in front of him and then he like leaned over and I was like she's looking for you <laughs> it was really funny that is funny and then he gave me that look like fuck why didn't you ask me sooner because he's always played Tori Amos but he was already spinning into the last song and it was oh, not Tori what was it it was Beyonce it was Beyonce's oh, new um, Beyonce the new one Anyway, if you don't like us that much, you just want to follow our socials, we're at Songs of Tori Amos on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also email us at songsofatoriamus at gmail.com or call us 323-296-9955. Leave us a message. Give us your hopes. Give us your dreams. Am I in them? Tell me your fears. Are you scared? <laughs> Tell me your stories. I'm not afraid of who you are. Oh, I see what's happening. She's making some sense now. I thought you were doing like Miss Cleo for a second. Oh. <laughs> what? That's, just, that's just the sound of my voice, Dean. Yeah, that's true. Anything you want to say to the people before we depart? What's your favorite decade? What would you actually choose if there were no limits? Of all decades? Yeah. Like if you had to choose a different decade to live in. Instantly transport to a different decade? Mm Mm-hmm. I would go to the 1960s. You would? Why? Yeah, because I've never gotten a chance. I never lived through them, and they seemed so fun. Everything was just cool, and everybody was like smoking weed, and like just living their best life, and had long hair. You think that's what my parents were doing? Probably. I really don't think so, but... They're probably doing that now that you left. That's true. They're like, he's not going to come knocking on our door anytime soon. <laughs> Pull out the bone, Gaylene. We can stop pretending. Anyhow, David, proud of you. When's the next episode of your podcast coming out? I don't know. You know what? A couple people have asked me that, which I actually really appreciate. I'm thinking about it. All right. Don't be afraid of your dreams. If you just want to hear David by himself on a podcast he never has invited me on, it's That's fine. not true. <laughs> anyway, have a wonderful evening, everybody. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you later, David. All right. Yes, you will. Bye. Bye. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com. Interesting choice, you trash. That's trash. I, I hate when things are interesting. Next.